This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, this is Greg Marguerite from LibriVox and Iambic. Hi, I'm Paul W. Campbell from Cosmos Productions. My name's Luke, and I uh, do the Science Fiction Book Review Podcast. And I'm Rick Jackson, and I have the Space Dog Podcast. Thank you for joining, gentlemen. Uh, this is five five fellows, no females. Um, a bit of a sausage fest this time out, I guess. Uh, yeah, I was <laughs> hoping we could avoid that. But uh, <laughs> what I, I would like to say is uh, everyone's been on this podcast before except for Paul. So Paul's going to have to give a soliloquy before we start properly. Anything, Paul? Right. Um, good evening. Actually, I don't think I've even talked to you on Skype before, have I? No, I haven't. I, I, I seldom actually use Skype. I actually had to install it just for this. Oh, well, I'm I mean, privileged. Account. We're all privileged by your presence. Um, what, what is, uh, I noticed <laughs> your, your Skype ID says Chemitix. Is that, is that right? Chemitix? What does that mean? Yes, yes. Oh, it goes back many, many years to when I used to do role-playing games and I had to come up with a name for a character and Chemtix was the short name for the character. Is he an elf? I've used it ever since because I can always get out. Was Chemtix an elf? No, he was a human savage wizard invoker. Uh, uh, No. A human. A human, okay. Just remember, when you're role-playing, it always put lots of Ks and (laughs) Gs in your name to make it sound more medieval. Yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) That's true. Merlin. Sure oh, uh, totally um, uh, unless you want to make him sound. There's, there's a great video that you should watch. Oh no! Keep talking. Oh, talking over each other here. A great video that you should watch on uh, on uh, on. I think it's on <laughs> Google Video or something called um, Farador or something like that. And it's a French um, comedy sketch about role playing games. And it's, oh, that it's is very, brilliant. very funny. So you I should, think you so, sent uh, that to me uh, a year ago. Or have something. you seen it? Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's really, really great. It's uh, yeah, it's a French production, so it's all subtitles in English, which means it's always really difficult for me to uh, to search for and, and find. But I'll, I may be able to dig out the link. Everyone should watch uh, that. that. It's maybe about fifteen minutes long, but it starts off a bit slow, but it's really, really worth pays off. like watching because it's just you know it just wraps up everything that I uh, like about role playing, even though I never do it. But you know everything that I uh, I find funny about role playing, and then in the other characters, everything that I. Uh, find uh, annoying about role players as well but you know that's coming from a complete non-expert <laughs> but one of the lines is yes you use more k's and g's yeah. on your name to make you sound more <laughs> medieval that's right it, it, it has a, I guess a it works very excellent well. and surprising payoff that is not good for uh, little kids to watch if they're non-traumatized oh yeah yeah it's adult adult material by the end yeah very very funny stuff um so, Paul, uh, you did, uh, I think I know you best from, you did yes. our uh, uh, SFF Audio Challenge number three. You did, uh, was it number three? You did uh, Rebels um, of the Red Planet? I tried, I tried number three and didn't quite finish it. The first, yeah, that was, I think it was the second challenge? Second challenge. Rebels of the Red Planet. By, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Charles L. Fontenay, oh, I think. I, I think it's Fontenay. Charles yeah. L. Fontenay. I'm not sure what L stands for. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Charles Fontenay, he's sort of like a uh, mid-list, uh, pulpy, science-y, fiction-y writer, I would say. 
Um, but I'm yeah. I'm I'm yeah. pretty much in favor of any rebels on any red planets myself. So I was very pleased to have that one in our in our challenge. Um, yeah, it was, now, good, it was a good fun experience. It was my first time narrating anything of that length. Yeah, it's a, it's like six hours long or something like that, right? Set on yeah. Mars and. Uh, you you didn't go through LibriVox. You went through Podio Books and your own website, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Uh, actually, I had someone yesterday uh, say that they were going to do their title for the most recent challenge through Podio Books, and um, that's it's. I think it's probably a little harder. LibriVox seems to make it easy. Is that is that true, Craig? Do you find uh, LibriVox helps people to get through? Uh, there's there's certainly a community, but I think there's one at Patio too. I don't know. It might be a little. You have to have a little thicker skin over at Patio, but um, because at LibriVox we take all comers, so you know you could you could have a Chinese accent with a cleft palate, and we still shepherd you through the process. So oh. it, it, I don't, you know, I don't know if Patio is more discriminating than that, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to. To do something, Paul. I could certainly. I'm an admin there. I could push your project through pretty quickly. But um, I guess, yeah. I don't want to say. Well, anything I, I do know that project. there is already another. So, yeah, no, there is already a copy of um, Rebels of the Red Planet being done by another narrator on LibriVox. Oh, is there? Interesting. I guess that's yeah. what happens when things are in the public domain. I, I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think yeah. that stops anyone recording um, new versions. Mark Douglas Nelson. Oh yeah. Um, I think we're having Mark on uh, sometime. Uh, we're going to do Hyperion, um, and I'm going to solve Greg's problem after the podcast. I think about how to get the files to you. All right. So uh, the essential idea behind this particular podcast is that we're going to talk about the new releases and recent arrivals uh, at SFF Audio. The idea being. Um, when people send us stuff, we release the, the details on our website through new releases and recent arrivals posts and talk about them on the podcast. But um, as there are so many, I've basically decided that the best way to solve this is to get other people to help me and see what they're interested in. So I, I've sent you all a link to, uh, I don't know, maybe 50 titles that have been released and arrived somewhere in either Canada or the U.S. Uh, to SFF Audio offices, and and uh, I know some of you have reviewed some of them, or are in the process of reviewing some of them, or just you've read some books before, so you know about these things. So, uh, having a look at this list, which of these strikes you as the least interesting? <laughs> the least interesting, well, the least fitting, the least fitting, I would say for SFF Audio would be the uh, Lewis Black. Yeah. Audiobook. The first yeah, one. Kind of, uh... Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I'm not sure why they're sending it to us. It's uh, kind of strange. Cause Apparently you have reach. I, perhaps. Perhaps because we will post it up, even though it, it's, it's an audiobook. And it's about Christmas, which is about a, a, the birth of a guy who was, you know, didn't have a father. Uh, and his mother was a virgin. So... Technically, uh, there's some fantasy element in there, I would say, but other than that, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> to sleep is faster than light travel. That's true. That's a good point. Um, I think I, I have a feeling this book is mostly about about just you know Lewis Black rather than Christmas. Uh, so I, I have a feeling I'm not going to review it anytime soon. I did do the last one they sent us. They sent us uh, uh, someone else who's on the Daily Show occasionally and uh 
and I thought it, I think it was called "Suck It Up Wonder Woman" or something like that. Suck it, Wonder Woman, and it was it, it was uh, mostly about. I guess it was sort of a geek related, which I'm not a big fan of that term, but uh, you know, it, it, which apparently means talking about Star Wars a lot. I think that's what. Uh, oh right. I think there, there, we should sort of. I have very little interest in that. Yeah, it's a good movie for when you're 13 years old, but uh, you grow up and then you read some books and and suddenly you discover that hey, there's there's other stuff. You know, to me, Star Wars is really not science fiction. It's a western. You could take all those guys and put six guns in their hands, trade them for their lightsabers, and tell the same story in the old west. So there's nothing really speculative there in terms of. Or in medieval Japan, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you could reset it anywhere. It's just a classic epic tale. And, you know, while we're certainly into epic tales, that one is more about eye candy than than intellectual content. Yeah, it it does do the eye candy. It did the eye candy pretty amazingly well. Give you a sense of wonder, I guess. Maybe that's that's what makes it science fiction, a sense of wonder. We will take Rick's take on this. Let's hear Rick. I was just going to say Star Wars. I always try to describe it as a fantasy novel in a science fiction setting. That sounds right. That sounds Over. right. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to actually talk radio. about Star... I was going to talk about, I think, Star Trek here, but I think I got mixed up. Did you say Star Wars or Star, Star Trek? Star Wars. I wasn't sure which I think, one was geeky. Although, geeky. no, I think, I think ah, Star okay. Trek is geeky Well, that's, well. that just shows how, how ungeeky I am. And it shows how unginky I am because I didn't actually take enough notice to work out if you use the word wars or trek after the mm. word star, mm. um, which is yeah stupid. But no, I was going to mention the uh, the new Metatropolis thing out from Audible. Which there is a we new go. Arrival, but I haven't read it. Yeah, let's I haven't talk read about this that. other one. But That's what they're on. doing is on the first one they had five authors and five uh, narrators, and they're all stars of what was it, Battlestar Galactica? And this one, it's sort of six authors and six narrators yeah. who are all stars of. Uh, of Star Trek or something like that. And Star that, Trek for Next me, just, is like yeah. just screaming Next Generation, but it really is just like, hey, remember all these actors that you've not seen on TV for the last 15 years? Now they're back. And it's, you know, I mean, I don't mind that if they're good, if they're good um, narrators. Uh, that's great, but it just does seem a little bit like cashing in on, first of all, the fans of Battlestar Galactica, because, of course, there was probably lots of them, because uh, it was still running, I think. Oh, it was just finishing up at the time when they put out yeah. the first Metropolis there. I've not listened to the books. I've not um, heard anything at all. So um, I can't comment on how good it is or bad it is or anything like that. But I'm just saying that seems yeah. to be in the same way cashing in on like the geek, um, uh, the geek appeal of, of Star Trek. Maybe. I don't know. See how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I found the problem with that was that, although they were good narrators, um, you're familiar with their voices for their celebrity characters that they play. And it, 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 I found it jarred a little bit with that. They, they are all audiobook actors, though. And they've done it before, uh, mostly for Star Trek stuff. But um, Will Wheaton um, is in a collection from Dove Audio from years and years ago that is uh, uh, highly regarded by me. And it's a collection of, uh, I think it's the best science fiction stories of the 20th century or something like that. And it has one story read by him, and he, he was excellent. So. Uh, I think you can, you know, if 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 you put them all together, it's designed to pull in some people from Star Trek, right? Who who enjoy yeah. Star Trek, but 
individually, I'm sure the some of the narrators are at least pretty good. I, I know I know Will Wheaton is. Yeah, well, LeVar Burton, he's he's meant yeah. to be a very good narrator. He's done. I mean, just looked him on his page here on audio. He's done the autobiography of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and you know, jazz, a history of America's music. You know, these <laughs> and reading yeah, Rainbow. Some weight, weight, weighty tomes here as well. He's a book lover. Um, yeah, you know. So I mean, I know that I'm not. I'm not knocking the fact that they're using this this collection of um, audiobook uh, uh, you know narrators, but it, it, like I say, it, it does seem a little bit of a of a, a cashing in for cashing in sake, which is great. I mean, I guess no problem with that. It's a business they're running here, they're Audible. Well, uh, and they get uh, back they get my the, money. Back to the um, uh, the Star Trek Star Wars thing for a second. Um, Luke, uh, I think I, I was mentioning to a friend of mine um, about what's wrong with with people liking Star Trek is that they like it for all the wrong reasons. What do they like? They like the uniforms. They like the Klingons. Uniforms and Klingons are not science fiction. What I liked about Star Trek was no. <laughs> this, you know, there's a story that's not, you know, you get an alien of the week that is interesting, like the Horda, right? You get the, the silicon based life form, uh, that's just trying to not have its eggs all eaten by these damn humans, right? That's a, that's a cool idea. And then next week, there's a different alien that's a little bit different, and, it, you know, it's a science fiction idea. But what people seem to like is, you know, Kirk slash Spock and uh, uniforms and Klingons, and they, they like all the wrong things about <laughs> Star Trek. Yeah, I, I also think it goes to a wider thing. The, the original, the classic, was, uh, you know, Roddenberry wrote a writer's guide, and then he handed it out to, like, Theodore Sturgeon and Harlan Ellison and people like that, and they each wrote episodes. Mm -hmm. So continuity-wise, you have a bunch of problems because, you know, the way Harlan Ellison conceived of a Vulcan is not the way Ted Sturgeon did. Um, But they abandoned that for the next generation and everything that came after that, and I find a a sameness to it that, you know, annoys me. Um, I would much rather have the guys who do it write a writer's guide and then hand it out for guys to do, you know, famous guys to do one episode or two or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that worked much better as a as an idea because you get a lot more variety. It's 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 like halfway between an anthological thing like Twilight Zone and you know the modern Star Trek things, which are we have a, a crew of writers and they have a vision and they're going to follow a story arc out across five or six years. None of that stuff mattered to the original series. Yeah, the Romulans, I you know, they're good for. Romulans are good for one episode. Borg are good for one episode, but I don't want to see you know a whole Borg arc. Once you once you give me the idea that this this race conquers everyone by assimilating them into their culture, um, I say that's cool. And then next week it's more Borg. I don't want to see more Borg. I'm done with that. Yeah, and uh, oh, well. you know it's funny because in the original the. Klingons were supposed to be the Russians and the Romulans were supposed to be the Chinese. And I've always wondered, who the hell are the Borg? <laughs> hmm. Uh, the Americans. <laughs> I don't, no, no. We're, the the, the Federation is, was the supposed Canadian. to be America. The Canadians. <laughs> They're not multicultural, though. That's the, that's the problem. They're unicultural. <laughs> yeah. The opposite. It's the opposite. I, I think it's it, like I, North, North Koreans or something. Then. No, I think, I, I think they are the Americans because if you think about it, uh, it's the melting pot, right? Everybody comes in. You bring in your your skills. You make us greater. I mean, in 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 the Europeans in general, I think. You think? I don't know. It seems to what happens in like Britain and things like that. You know, we just go. What's the national dish of Britain? You know, it's like curry. 
you know, Vindaloo, <laughs> that kind of thing. No, it's true. I mean, that's, a, that's what you get. What about bangers? I think a better that? analogy... I think a better analogy for the Borg would be something like high school students, where they're all trying to be the same and all trying to fit Look, can in. we not have a conversation about I agree. Star Trek? Yeah, let's get off of this. <laughs> let's get out of... We might even excise the Star Wars, Star Trek stuff, because that's not... I don't care about that stuff, really. Um, how about this? What about sequels? There's a sequel here um, to uh, The Unincorporated Man, which uh, I know Luke... Shoot me now. Luke read. I read. Yeah. Uh, the the original, and I thought the original was really good, except for some serious problems with you know writing to the length of the supermarket rack, you know, making it longer for no good reason. Um, but I, I I really don't have a strong desire to listen to the the sequel. I and- have absolutely no desire to listen to the sequel at all. And and again, the first book I didn't. I enjoyed parts of it. You know, there's a lot big chunks of it that I enjoyed, but then there was big chunks of it which I didn't enjoy and i was just like why is this even in the book um but overall i don't think it was actually a very good book um which is a real pity but yeah i'm not i'm not gonna definitely not gonna read the uh read the second book in the series no way because it I was like the first book was was like 20 hours or something. yeah it's true it gives you the idea and and it, it had some extraneous stuff that you know could have been a separate story but uh w- once we've done the original is there is there a uh, is there true science fiction to be found in in sequels, or is it more of the you know soap opera stuff? Uh, continue. Well, I, I, it it really does depend. I mean, because quite a lot of um, sequels they just went, oh, this is a successful book. You got to write the second book now, and it suddenly it becomes a series. And books two and three will be a will be a unified story, uh, which will finish off some ideas in uh, in the first book. Like I just I just finished the uh, the Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the review of that will be in a podcast probably in the next three or four days. I'm you know life is a bit crazy at the moment, different things, but. Uh, I'll get to it. But then that, it's a finished, it's a finished book. And people said, oh, read the second book. But then, you know, it continues the story. But then the third book is a real letdown. And I think it is because, you know, it's a successful book. So, of course, there's going to be a sequel. However, I think a lots of series are written with a series in mind. You know, like, for example, the Void trilogy that I finished up recently by Peter F. Hamilton. You know, it's the, uh, the what is it, the Dreaming Void, the Temple Void, and the Evolutionary Void. Like, literally, he's paying off stuff which he'd written about in the first book of the three, you know. And it's and the stuff, you know. There's even things in the in the previous, you know, series that he's he's using there. But it is like a, a, a complete story, and it wouldn't make sense as a as a first book. So I think if it's just a sequel for sequel's sake, I I, I often think, you know, uh, wh- where are they going to go with these ideas? But I really don't mind series um, if it's actually a planned series, and not a a planned series as in Star Wars, which is obviously not a planned series. Um, bring it back to Star Wars again. But there you go. Uh, yeah, well, let's, uh, we can get stuck, bogged down there. So let's let's avoid the the Star Wars and Star Trek. But um, uh, here here's one that isn't a sequel. But uh, Paul, you did you review already? Black uh, Blackout? Did you say? Um, I've read it. I don't think I wrote a review of it. Okay. Well, Blackout um, is part of a series, sort of, right? Yes, it's a, it's a series of books uh, from Connie Willis uh, in the same general setting of uh, near-future Oxford where uh, college professors have access to uh, time travel technology that allows them to send themselves and their students back in time to observe uh, historical events. Uh, I believe the first one was 
Doomsday Book? Called, but it was about, it was, Doomsday Book, yes. It was about the Black Death. Um, and was that Black the first Death in the series? I think it I was, think the, it was the first novel. I think, I think there was a one called Firewatch that came before but, that. Because I, a... uh, I downloaded that and started listening to it, and, it was, uh, and I couldn't get into it because it, there was talk, the, the characters were being introduced as though I was meant to know these characters and like them already, and I didn't know them, and I didn't particularly find anything likable about them. Not unlikable, but just sort of like nothing that really gripped me. So I, I didn't finish the book. I, you know, I only got a few chapters in, yeah. which is a pity. I mean, overall, anyway, overall it's, it's the, the, they are good books, um, very detailed research in the period, um, but I did notice the same problem between Blackout as was in um, the Doomsday book, and that a lot of the problems you find happening and the story is propelled forward is by the characters not being able to speak to each other, uh-huh. not being able to find each other, not communicate, and that drags the story out, uh, and it's, that's, that's what keeps the story going on for as long as it does. And what, what I found a big surprise when I got to the end of Blackout was that it's part one of a two-book series. Oh. Oof. I didn't realise that when I started the book. Got to the end, I'm getting like half an hour from the end. So like, oh, this is going to wrap up and all this in the next half hour. No. But it's so, a 19-hour book. Yeah. It says here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I believe the second part should be out any time now, actually. Wow. I think I saw it in the bookstore yesterday, the book itself. I think it's called Whiteout, isn't it? That would make sense. Sounds about right, yeah. Blackout so. and Whiteout. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very well detailed. It covers the uh, World War II period in lots of detail. I love the setting and the detail and the characters. Um, you can kind of feel that the characters could perhaps be a little bit smarter in some things. But overall, I did like it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I do plan on listening to the, the sequel, if nothing else, just to get the resolution. How is the, the narrator? How is the narrator? Because I've listened to Catherine Kelgan on a few books before, and I find her quite good. So, uh, um, I'm just I, trying I, to work out if she I also like, did I, I uh, liked it, yeah. Doomsday Book. Because um, if she, let's have a look, yeah. she, did, she didn't strike me out. I mean, I, normally a, a good narrator, I tend not to really notice them. Mm. It's it's narrators who irritate me that I tend to take notes of, <laughs> um, but. Catherine did a perfectly serviceable job. Very good narration. Because uh, I listened to the Doomsday Book and I and I found it almost unlistenable to uh, because of the narration. I was just I'm wondering if she was doing the narration or not. But not, oh yeah, she no no it wasn't. It was someone else. Jenny Sterling did the narration to Doomsday Book. The uh, the one on Audible. Yeah, anyway, it's a recorded and, books. I I did a review of it. I'll link to that. Um, I, oh, and I, it was I, terrible. I mean, I just it was it, her voice is painful to listen to. I really should have listened to like a preview of it before downloading it because if I'd have known I'd had to listen to her voice for twenty six hours and thirty minutes, I would have never <laughs> ever downloaded it. Well, in the first you place. never did listen to it for twenty six hours, right? No, I listened to about two hours, and yeah. I was just like, oh, even on double speed on the iPod, it was a bit too. Oh. Uh, it says there's bonus audio on uh, on the CD for um, Blackout. Is that before the the novel starts or at the end? Do you remember? I think it might be an introduction from Connie Willis at the beginning. Okay, so yeah, this is the problem. Luke ran into. Right. I, I got it from I got it from Audible, so it just came through. Yeah, it's, the, it's the same. Brilliance is is uh, owned by Audible, which is owned by Amazon, right? It's all yeah. It's all a. They're all shell companies. Well, all the same edition, but um, yeah. Uh, so this is what Luke. You don't you don't like having it at the beginning, right? The introductory thing. There there was one for Earth Abides, and I thought that that it was 
it was. I think I just I just ru- skipped it. Yeah, it didn't ruin anything for me. Um, I, I'm not I'm not a big worrier about spoilers very much. Yeah, well, I, I am. It really hit me when I was di- reading the Deep Six by um, Bloody Blah Blah Blah, uh, Jack McDevitt. And um, he he gives he does a it's not narrated by him but it's narrated it's a, he does an introduction and he was like oh what I want to do in this book I wanted to put the characters in this kind of situation and then do this and this and this and I was like well now I know that the characters are going to get into a situation and they're not going to get out until it until because he literally just says what's going to happen or what the point of the book was now if it was a, a normal book I'd have just skipped over that and maybe read it at the end or probably read it at the end and to see what the author thinks about it um, but yeah I mean it's like why put an introduction with massive spoilers on especially when it's like an adventure story where you know there's not a whole lot of else going on there except um plot in bad plot in the case of uh deep six but um yeah you know it's just perhaps if they thought if they put it at the end people will just get to the end of the story and go all right this is well i'll finish the story move on to the next one so won't listen to it at all yeah yeah Yeah, i don't mind that i would i would i would rather not i just not listen to it you know i I love introductions or closing stuff i think I think that's the added value that makes, uh, uh, you know, hearing hearing, uh, you know, where they're getting their material from or that sort of thing. I always find it very helpful because half the time I'm reading a book that will spawn the next book I'm going to read. You know, um, I find my interests uh, are chained together. So I, I read something and I say, oh, this is interesting. And how does this connect to the next thing I'm going to read? And it feels like a perhaps someone should. Progression. So perhaps someone should just tell the authors that their intro is going to be an intro before the book, and most mm-hmm. people are going to hear it before they read the book. Yeah, that, that might work. Yeah, it's just that, like I say, I, I really do think this, this happens too often um, when uh, when the book, it's like it's almost, it wouldn't stand by itself in a way. I've, I've noticed this with a few other books, which I've generally not given much praise to, is that, you know, it, the introduction is almost an apology for the book before it begins, which is, a, you know, it's a bit strange way. But like uh, another uh, book that I, re- I just listened to and really enjoyed, which was uh, Slaughterhouse Vive by Kurt Vonnegut. He, his introduction at the beginning of the book is probably like some kind of fictionalized telling of how he wrote the book. And it's actually the first chapter and a big chunk of the beginning of the book. And it makes a lot of sense. And that works really well. And then at the end of the book, they had a, an interview with him where he's, t- you know, it was a few years later or 20 years after the book came out. And he's talking, you know, he's, he's a little interview, like a 10 minute interview that he's talking about the book. And that worked really well as well so i think done right introductions and you know things can work you know it it, it can actually add a lot to the book but again it's like it has to either be a book that you can't spoil or just don't use spoilers there well i don't i mean you can't i mean the the whole thing about slaughterhouse five is it's one of the first novels to have a non-linear plot line and it does put content in the intro and all that sort of stuff so i I sort of would take it out of the list. I mean, I don't think that introduction is an introduction. No, no, that's what I said. I, I don't think it yeah. is actually uh, an introduction. I think it's like a fictionalized, you know, telling of why he's telling us that he's writing the book, you know, and I, I understand right. what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that that is a book where you, like I say, because it's so nonlinear, he, he, it's almost impossible to spoil it. And he actually says what the final payoff at the end of the book is going to be. And he's saying, how is this going to be? How is this for a final payoff for a book? And his friend is going, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, and then when you actually get to it, you're like, hmm. Uh, no, I just think it's uh, like, like I say, that in some books, it can work to have an, a spoilerific introduction, even though that's a, like a bad example, because it's more of a, uh, a meta introduction. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, I'm thinking uh, thinking about uh, about these series and sequels. I'm I'm wondering what I, I just finished listening to the Stainless Steel Rat, which is on the list here, um, read by Phil Giganti. It's very well read, and it's a it's a fun book. Uh, only four CDs, five hours, so it's perfect length. You know, you get you get a little taste, you get through it, and you're you're done. You enjoyed it. Um, but this is probably you know. I, I sort of talk about sequels being a modern thing, but old books had sequels, or at least they had a series universe. You know, the Time Traders is on, on this list, and I think that's well. You know, Andre Norton's series. Uh, okay, th- Harry Harris has got a series. It's Journey not a new from thing, the Earth but... to the Moon, Journey from the Earth to the Moon, or whatever it was called by. Uh, um, Wells. Yeah. No. Jules no, Verne. Which one? I'm... Yeah, Jules no. Verne. Yeah, Man in the first Men in the Moon was Wells, but even before that was okay. Journey from the Earth to the Moon had a sequel called Around the Moon. So, like when you're talking about sequels going back a long way, we're talking like right back to the start of <laughs> science yeah. fiction, fifty sure. years or whatever like that. So, I don't, I like I said, I don't have a, a problem with continuing stories. Although I've never actually read Around the Moon because uh, I think it just sounds like a cash in. Well, I think that the uh, in the pulp era you had characters that continued, but not necessarily a storyline. Ah, yeah, that might be a way of approaching it. So you know, each rat book hangs out on its own. It has a whole story in it, and it's just the characters that move to the next rat book. And he gets a wife, and he gets kids, and he gets you know all that stuff. But um, so you know, you you took your character and moved him through a universe, but you didn't Classic tell his entire story Colts. across. What's that? So it's a classic example. Could be Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, exactly. Fine. Uh, there is sort of a continuity to that a little bit. You got to you know read them in order so that he doesn't fall off Kyber Pass before he should or whatever. But, but yes, <laughs> I agree. Um, you know, he he. Yeah, absolutely. Each one was a, a compact little exercise in rational thinking and and abnormal psychology. Yeah, but w- what people yeah. liked about that series was Sherlock Holmes. Maybe some of the stories don't matter so much. I mean, I think some of them are, are excellent mysteries, right? But other ones, mm, not so great mysteries. Um, what what I, I understand Conan Doyle disliked most was the character, right? And having to write the same character. So when you read uh, Valley of Fear, right? Sherlock Holmes is barely in it. It's a Sherlock Holmes book only in name, really. It's almost all told in, yeah. in past tense uh, by a narrative of some, you know, the whole middle section of the book. Most of the book is, <clears throat> is you know, set in the United States with n- no mention of Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I would Another hate to... Another book on this... Uh, on this... similar. So how, how did the Baskervilles, I think, is slightly similar because Holmes doesn't turn up until, I don't know, halfway through the book? Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I right. guess is, um, that, is that a Sherlock Holmes book? I always even, I always forget that's a Sherlock Holmes yeah. story. <laughs> well, <laughs> it does have it does have uh, a Watson Watsons in it, right? Yeah, yeah. There are a pair. There's, a, there's another series here yeah. in the in the new arrivals list, called, uh, which is by Lewis McMaster Bajold, which is the Miles Vork Vorkozigan adventure series. Mm-hmm. And I loads of people have recommended this to me, and I have in a way I have no interest in reading the book because I know um, the Vorkozigan Vork, um, is follows one guy, 
and he he he's always in the next book. And I've really got very little interest in reading a series of, of, of books with a single character in, knowing that it's an adventure. Like Sherlock Holmes, I understand because it's like a mystery, and like you say, each one is an individual story um, where he's probably not going to be in mortal danger that often. Um, but like, I don't really want to read some kind of swashbuckling adventure where I know that there's another 12, 20 books in the series and the, and the main character is going to last throughout the entire lot of them because I'm like, yeah, but I don't, I, you know. Do you understand what I'm getting at? It's the hope, of, sure uh, the hope of being surprised, yeah. uh, maybe, that you're... That yeah, you're, I mean, yeah. it's like... Okay. So you're he's going to be in a series. Yeah, when you're reading a series and you know there are another 12 books already written, then, yes, you can get that. But if you're at the point where you've already read those books as they came out, and you've got the latest book here, this could be the book where the character gets killed off. Maybe, maybe nah, not. It's you not don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, there was a period in my life when I was very into that sort of thing, when I was like, you know, in fact, one of your recent releases is, what, Priest Kings of Gore? Is that number yep, three in the yep. Tarl Cabin? Um, I, I devoured those albums, those uh, those books when I was a kid and, and I couldn't wait for the next one to come out and all that sort of stuff and now if you were to place them in front of me I would roll my eyes and say you know I'm not in for a commitment like that but but when I was trying to suck as much of that stuff in as I possibly could and was reading had so much free time that I was reading constantly and just needed new stuff all the time something like that was was exactly what I was looking for I, I'm just not that person anymore so I, I think that those series have appeal to a segment of the market and probably none of us are really in that segment that much anymore yeah that might be the case i i don't mind a series i mean because like i was reading uh i read the first in the in george r R. martin's um book which the game of thrones and i know that the characters in that book uh, are probably are not going to make it through to the end of the series just because the way the book is set up. But then again, the, the series isn't named after the single guy. If it was, you know, um, Bran's story of, you know, the Bran saga or something like that, I'd know that Bran was, yeah. is going to make it through to the end. And and I would still read it because it's a bit, it's like about more than him, you know, because it's a, it's a much wider um, a much wider palette that he's drawing with. But the thing is, I, I see with this sort of like, um, you know, with a stainless steel rat, I know that probably the only reason is to keep reading it is if, I'm, if, if I like the main character, if I'm, uh, if I'm invested in the main character. I'm not sure that's... Uh, I, 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 the character's cool, but what I like most about the, the book was the, it's very... It's, it's, there's no jokes, but it's a very funny universe. It's kind of like a... Um, you get a lot of it's told first person. You get a lot of um, of funny descriptions of of funny things happening, and it doesn't sound very funny. But you know, the, a robot breaks into the room, and he's got he's he's got it all set up so that he can avoid uh, avoid getting captured, and a anvil falls on its head. Right? Um, it's it's funny. I, I I was enjoying it. I think this is fun. Or maybe fun rather than funny, um, but the science fiction content, the you know the ideas content, almost non-existent. It, it it's more no, it's adventure. a crime thing. It's, stain- it's crime and adventure. Rat, is it? Yeah, the stainless steel rat. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, okay. I really I, I did enjoy it, and that's what makes me think, oh, I should read the second one. Uh, but I'm also you know I'm not getting a certain itch scratched. I'm getting uh, you know the the fun itch scratched, I guess. Um, but looking at this, yeah, this a- list, there's very few that aren't sequels or 
aren't likely to be sequels. Series, you know, yeah. it says book one in the series. Yeah. Or, I mean, even the old stuff that are on the list, we've got, um, there's a new copy of uh, Princess of Mars, right? That's, there's the original uh, yeah. series from the 20th century, right? Maybe the one of the most successful ones, other than Tarzan. Yeah, Pulp series, yeah. Uh, Doc Smith had, you know, I mean, they existed back. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, starting around, yeah. So, uh, but, it, you know, in terms of, like, you know, you're right. The rat isn't, you know, straight ahead science fiction. But the the premise is 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 definitely humor. And Harry Harrison has that bent to him with, like, Bill the Galactic Hero and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He, he, that's clearly his, his area of expertise, as it were. Um, you know, and I, I love those books. I would, I would kill to do Slippery Jim. Um, because I think di- just... Slippery Jim degrees. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, um, a really good narration too. Phil, Phil Gigante does a really good job with it. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as you, as if you get, if you go forward and you get through them, he actually, uh, I'm trying to remember it's been a while, but you know, does he have, he's got the wife already, but he doesn't have the kids yet. Uh, at the, and at the end of the first one, he's, um, uh, he's captured Angelina and, oh, I'm giving Lots of spoilers, but the the main thing is, um, it, it very it very feel, it feels very like uh, episodic. Even the you know four CDs, it feels like there's maybe three adventures in there, and then yeah, and then the next one it says the stainless steel rats revenge. I don't know anything about that, but that's the next one that's available. It's already in the okay. Review okay. There. Well, he he actually has a story arc of his life. In fact, I think the first four follow him to his kids growing up, and then. If I remember correctly, he goes back to a stainless steel rat is born, and you're you're filling in his childhood at that point, um, and so it starts to get, you know, it loses that continuity of it going from one to the other. But um, no, I love that character, and uh, you know, I I think that is as far as candy is concerned, that's really good stuff. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not that's what it sort of feels like. Yeah. But but, but it's so short. Uh, the next one's five CDs. The first one's four CDs. It's it. You know, you can get through it. You don't feel like get on with it. You know, it feels like yeah. candy. It feels like hmm, this is yummy. Let, now I'm going to have something substantial. Yeah. No problem, Rick. We'll we'll let you go at the top of the hour. Um, so <laughs> let's get some more Rick in in this uh, show. What Rick? What have you heard about this immortal by Roger Zelazny? That that one is, really sounds interesting. It's also known you as. You know what? I've Paul never McConrad. read that one. Anybody? I've never read that one. Uh, I... nope. The, uh, nope. Speed of Speed of Dark. Let's talk about I was the, speed mention of dark. the Speed of Dark. That's uh, a new audiobook version. I read the original audiobook version, which I think was Books Robert Gardner. Right? Yep. Yep. And that was excellent. It's an excellent novel. Um, Grover Gardner's. Uh, is really uh, a solid reader. He's kind of one of those invisible narrators, I, I would say. He's got a great voice, though. It's kind of like Greg's. It's very, you know, grumbly sort of sounding. Hey. <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a supervillain. <laughs> um, hey, can I mention my podcast? Fast? Absolutely. Let's talk about, uh, about the Space Dog podcast. Um, just started a new podcast. In fact, I just posted the second one while we were talking. Oh, great. I had it already. Um, let me see. I'll send everybody a link as soon as I figure out what I'm doing here. Uh, the Space Dog Podcast is part of the... Uh, I'm 
part of this organization, a nonprofit called the Science Fiction Oral History Association. And we have hundreds of tapes. It dates back to the organization dates back to the mid-1970s. So there's all kinds of recordings from conventions and stuff of science fiction authors. And uh, I've been planning on doing a podcast for quite some time, and I finally got off my butt and got it started. And uh, the first podcast had... Uh, you listened to it, right, Justin? Yeah, it's got Isaac Asimov, Gordon Dixon, uh, Frederick Pohl, Lester Del Rey, Arthur C. Clarke talking about about science fiction and writing science fiction, sort of shooting the shit as, I think, oh yeah, it's a BS is what you put it. But yeah, uh, it's a, a very informative, uh, interesting sort of conversation. Yeah, they talk about like Cordwain or Smith and some things you wouldn't expect maybe them to be talking about. It was kind of interesting, I thought. And uh, I just put out the second one, which is something I just recorded last month with uh, Scott Westerfeld came to my local borders. And uh, it's a real interesting conversation. And the third one, I just got Ben Bova's permission to replay uh, science uh, guest of honor Worldcon speech that he did. Oh, great. In the year 2000. Yeah. So that will be the third episode. And they're coming out every two weeks. So I'm just trying to get the word out and let people know. I'm a big fan of uh, every two weeks is that? Uh, as a, as a concept. I, I'd love to see like this go for at least six months. What can you think you can sustain that for two weeks? I've two weeks every six myself. months. Yes, I have committed myself to doing it for six months. Am All I right. Be, if, I'm, if I'm, would you, would you, would you think about that? Because I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm working on a new podcast at the moment, and at the moment I'm in the stage of collecting interviews. And the idea is that I'm only gonna I'm gonna make ten or twelve episodes. I'm not quite sure um, how many yet, but you know, the most uh, I'd say probably eight of them are probably going to be um, uh, interviews, and then I'm going to release them twelve uh, twelve episodes over twelve weeks, and then just stop. And so it's like a completed project, and that'll be season one. And then if I collect enough interviews, then I'll release them in you know once a week for you know another ten weeks or something like that, and do that again. So it means that I I can do all the work in advance. Oh, that's the plan anyway. And then once they're rolling, they they don't have to. I don't have to put any work in once they're actually rolling. That's and how you do it, right, Paul? More. Um, I wish. <laughs> No, I'm always. I'm, unfortunately, I'm always uh, last minute trying to get stuff done. Um, uh, last I mean, my, my current podcasts w- once a month, and I'm still struggling to get things out wow. uh, on time. Uh, I'm pro- probably going to be late with uh, this month's episode as well because I haven't even sat down to record it yet because I've been ill the last couple of weeks, so my voice hasn't been there to record anything. We've got so, three days left. <laughs> Three yeah. Late, three yeah, I'm on, yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm in rehearsals all the rest of this week because I'm on stage on Friday, Saturday, so I don't have the time this week. Oh, no. Well, you know what I do? Yeah. Well, I just post-date it. I, 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 just, I, I post it and then backdate it to the, uh, the time that it, it, it was supposed to come out. <laughs> so people say, what? I missed it? <laughs> well, I, have a, <laughs> I had to do I that. I have an even better thing with my... I have to do that with, uh, well, I did something even worse with my uh, science fiction book review podcast, and that's just say, oh, there's no schedule, which yeah, is really good, actually, because now it's November, and, and, yeah. and I'm just coming up to the end of November, and I'm trying to do the, uh, I'm trying to yeah. do the uh, 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 no- National Novel Writing Month, NaNoWriMo, and, uh, and I've got two days left after today, and let me just check this, yeah. how, what my word count is now, which means I've got, in two days, 
I've got to oh I've lost I've lost the thing here. So I've got to write um around about eleven thousand words in two days. Wow. Well which is possible, but Rick Rick's yeah. gonna <laughs> need to take his leave. So any parting thoughts, Rick? Go oh. Space Dog Podcast. <laughs> Go Space Dog Podcast. So well, thank <laughs> you. Subscribe. I'll check out these first two episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to say uh, it, there's a lot of podcasters. I think Jesse's the schedule. The optimal schedule, I think, for a podcast is once weekly, as far as um, retaining listeners and gaining listeners and growth and everything. Yeah. Uh, I used the uh, method at uh, I forgot who mentioned it that, that you put it out as you complete them and you don't really have a schedule. My first podcast, I did that, the Time Traveler show, and it seemed like the distance yeah. between each show got farther and farther apart and farther apart until finally I just, I just fell off yeah. the map and pod faded. Well, I just Deadline do it whenever I finish a book. Yeah, I just do it whenever I finish a book. I do the review. So it's literally, it, it goes at the same speed as my reading schedule, which is, you know, one book every week and a bit, I guess. Um, but sometimes I fall behind and just do the review a week, a week after I finish the book, which is going to be like this time out anyway. Just because of time issues. Uh, any new yeah. ebooks, okay, Rick? Before you go, any new ebooks coming out? Oh, you know what? I've never talked about uh, the Robert Silverberg deal like that I got. Oh, please do if you can. Uh, I signed a contract with Robert Silverberg to release seven books. They're all um, short story <laughs> compilations. And all copyrighted, each, right? Uh, yeah. And each, yeah. Uh, each edition will have a Nebula or Hugo Award winning story in the front for the first story and the rest of them are going to be filled with all nominated stories. So it's kind of like the best of Is this is this all new material Robert. to audio? Uh it's actually um it's actually an ebook, a print book and an audio book. Uh not all new material too. There's uh there's a couple Majapur stories in the collection or at least one that I know of that was released in the Majapur Majapur Chronicles. So uh, no, I'm saying it's the first yeah, time to first time to audio, first time to audio. So some, you're some the of it, narrator on these. most of it, I think, is first time to audio. Uh, yeah, I'd say 95 well, percent of cool. it's first time to audio. Yeah, so and first time to ebook too. Then correct, yes. Which is which is where you know you you've been concentrating and uh, with the Kindle, apparently you're doing great guns. Is that right? It's going well. Yes, it's going very well. So, yeah, the audiobook thing is really hard to make money, especially with <laughs> Audible and the way they... Uh, I'm trying, Rick! I'm trying! <laughs> I'm trying to make you some money here. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I... You can go to Wander Audio. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of... Uh, every everyone I've reviewed, I think, uh, I've really enjoyed. and um, I, But I've also, you know, I've picked and chosen, uh, but... What I like, what you and I have always had in common, I think, is a love of the old stuff, right? We like old yes. science fiction m- m- far more than anything brand new. Um, well, maybe maybe not far more, but it seems like, you know, old science fiction is where it's at. I, I want to pick up an old book and check that out before picking up a new book. Yesterday's yes, percentage-wise, you know, I don't want to... Yeah. Percentage-wise, I'd say the old stuff is a lot better than the new stuff. But of course, there's awesome stuff coming up. There is. There is. You know, 
neglect that either. I just think the old stuff that you still oh. read is the is the is the cream of the crop. Is it's been selected for yeah. over time. So the older stuff that you still read is is of course better than the new stuff because all the old shit stuff you just is just ignored. Now, whereas yeah. the new shit stuff is is, is here in the new releases um, podcast. Yeah. Hey. Hey! hey. <laughs> I thought that was a nice compliment, and suddenly it was an attack. I think, uh, okay, we're going to let Rick go because he has to leave. Uh, but uh, let's okay, talk guys. about the speed of dark. I just finished uh, right. disc four of 12, and this is one of the best audiobooks I've heard this year so far. Um, read by Jay Snyder. We talked about it a little earlier. Uh, Grover Gardner did the books on tape version, um, and I do love Grover Gardner, but Jay, Jay Snyder does a really good job with this so far. No, no uh, spoilers uh, other than to say, you know, I, I can see where it's going, and it, it what, I, what I was telling someone yesterday, maybe it was Luke, I don't know, I was telling somebody yesterday, this is a book that has no science fiction content so far yet at, uh, at all, and yet it feels like science fiction. It's just a guy, he said a little bit in the future, a guy who's got autism, and his boss, his bosses want him to take a, to take an experimental treatment that will, I, I guess, eliminate his autistic personality or something. Uh, but that that's still ways down the road. But it feels like science fiction. It feels very much like it's going to be uh, uh, not Char- Charlie. I think it's the movie version or Understand by uh, Ted Chiang. You know, um, what's what's the movie I'm thinking of? Charlie, they called it. It's the Flowers for Algernon. That's it. Flowers for Algernon. Um, I don't know yeah, why. Which is a great example because in that book, the operation that turns Charlie, <laughs> quote, normal, unquote, um, takes like less than a page. There's no nuts and bolts in it at all. But without that page, the whole story falls apart. And so that meets my definition of science fiction because there's a speculative idea yep. and it's integral to the plot. It just feels very, very, um, I mean, just seeing the world through this guy's, uh, I I assume Elizabeth Moon has done some research, because it feels very realistic in, in, uh, I don't know a hell of a lot about autism. I don't know, I I don't know if I even know any autistic people. What I'm saying, though, is it feels like she's really done her research here. I'm going to have to do my own research to find out if this is true. But, you know, the way she talks about... uh, about how he interacts with the world. Smells are very important to him. He smells everything, uh, as in he can smell everything, rather than he goes around sniffing things, right? He he can just detect the smell of things a lot better than, or at least it's more important to him than it is to the people around him. Um, Interactions and conversations uh, uh, that, you know, we would take as being very easy are very difficult for him is it is it told in first person told in first person mostly there's a uh, there's every once in a while Uh. which is to third person uh not sure why yet but uh it's almost all first person and he doesn't use any um contractions which i you know it's i guess a technique for showing him to be a little bit different or something i'm not sure that Mm. i'm not sure that that's realistic uh you know you're autistic so you don't use contractions that doesn't sound right but well, I know. I just think it's a you know it's it's a good way to get a handle on the on the character. Yeah, I was actually just I, I finished up and I didn't do a review on it on my on my podcast. I finished up. Um, uh, I am not a serial killer by mm. Dan Wells. Yeah, um, I, I'm here. A, interested in that a, one. 
Uh, it's very good, and it, but again, it's not it's not talked about an autistic kid, but it's talked about it, it talks about a, a kid who's obviously a bit of a psychopath in training, but not in training. He's but he's got these rules that he sticks to to stop himself, you know, hurting other people or getting too obsessed with people. And but because it's all told from a, like a first person narrative, you realize that at some points he's just lying to himself and mm-hmm. to you as the reader, and uh, and it's very clever in that way because he's saying, "Oh, I'm following all these rules," and he's telling himself that he's following those rules, but then he really isn't following the rules he is actually stalking this girl and then suddenly he comes to the conclusion oh actually i've not been following these rules for these last three chapters even though i've been telling you i have and uh, yeah and it's just it's just very it's a very a very clever a very clever technique there um it sounds like young dexter yeah. it, it, it's not young used in, uh, so similar technique used in the curious incident of the dog in the night time from mark Haddon, although that's character's asperger's syndrome and it's all told first person. Yeah. And he's got all the rules and how, what he needs in order to behave uh, and how he expects other people to, to react to him. Um, I, I think I was a, rel- a reliable narrator in that one. Uh, it was a very, very well written book. I really enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, I think in that one, I, that one you do have a reliable narrator, but in a, in a detached narrator in a way. At one point he's, talk- he's got this mouse and yeah. he drops a mouse and it goes down onto the, onto the train tracks. Um, in a tube station in London, so he jumped down onto the tracks, mm-hmm. and you, as the reader, are like, "Don't go on the tracks! What are you doing?" Going, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, I'm <laughs> looking for a mouse down here," and uh, you know, and of course, there's people screaming, but he doesn't. He, you know, he writes that there's different noises around him, but he doesn't actually say that there's yeah. that it's actually people screaming at him and then being rescued from the tracks in front of the train. But you, as the reader, pick up on all this stuff, and yeah, that's what I really like about that kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, reliable narrator, but just so detached that you have to read in the sense of danger in these situations because he's just not there at all. This sounds um, exactly yeah. what I'm looking for next. Um, I'm looking. At, it's an audiobook available. Um, very strangely, there's two versions, and they're both the almost identical length. One says abridged, and the other one says unabridged. <laughs> uh, it says the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime by Mark Haddon, read by Jeff. Woodman, six hours six minutes, released in two thousand four, and then there's a, a a dramatized abridged version, read by Ben Tibber, uh, which is six yeah. hours and three minutes long. So, three minutes of the book has been excised. I don't think so. It's a very strange situation. I, no, the weird thing is, is that they might they might be doing something because there's lots of diagrams in it because he's really interested in maths and things like that. So maybe in the, ah. in the abridged version, they've taken out some of the story but put in some of the maths puzzles that are in there and the little games that he plays himself. And then uh, in the unabridged version, it's all of the text, but maybe they sort of skip skip the uh, the maths puzzles. Oh, I don't know. I know that's just a, a theory. Uh, yeah. I don't have know how, have I you, either of you, you heard the audiobook of this? Because that sounds like a yes. It was the audio. It was the audiobook I listened to. The unabridged. Although I'm just looking at it on my um, Jeff uh, Audible player. Uh, it's the it's Ben Tibber. Okay, so that's version, the one that says the, dramatized and abridged. Very strange. Why would it? No, no. dramatized. I, 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 I don't see. Uh, it's, it's, it says it says Ben Tibber, but it was an unabridged narration. It wasn't dramatized. Yeah, it says abridged here, and that's dramatized. I don't, I don't know. Maybe dramatized means there's music. I mean, dramatized usually means there's there's uh, multiple actors, multiple or narrators. Yeah, yeah, and we haven't we've got one narrator. So uh, I'll, maybe I I'll do some I read research it on a, this and find out which one is which. I read it as a paper book. 
I read it as a paper book, and yeah. I'm not sure how it would work as an audio book because there's so much like non uh, readable content. Well, not non readable, but you know, he, he explains um, you know Conway's game of life, or maybe not that, but he's explained those kind of things, but with diagrams, um, you know, these puzzles and things with diagrams. But you know, I don't know, uh, I don't know how that would translate into audio. Yeah. So I'd, I'm interested to see. What did you out. did you do uh, the Dan Wells book as an audio book, or was it paper? I read it as an audiobook, downloaded it. Um, it was really strange, actually, because it's telling the story of a, of a young, quite a young boy, maybe like 13 or 14 or something. But the, the voice of the voice actor, of the narrator, he's got, quite a, um, he's got quite an old voice, and yet it works really well. And I was very impressed with the, the narration in that way because, well, I don't know, it's, it, it, there are some older characters in the book, and he does those voices really, really well, even though he's... Uh, but then the, the younger voice of the, uh, of the narrator himself seems to come across... You know, surprising well for such a like an, a, a narrator with a much older voice. <clears throat> yeah. uh, let's let's uh, let's skip through any any more of these titles. Looking uh, of semi interest, quick Quicksilver, the second book in the series of Neil Stevenson's. Uh, what is it called? The uh, Baroque Cycle. Uh, I've not read any of those, but um, you guys have read some Neil Stevenson, nope. haven't you? Is the, I think I. I think I might have listened to the first one, although Quicksilver, no, Quicksilver is volume one. Oh, I'm sorry. What, I've what, listened to this one. Maybe before. I've got the other one right in front of me somewhere. I don't know. Right. Um, I think I noticed there was one on yeah, the page. Yeah, Quicksilver here. Down. I did. I think it was the second one. Yeah. Um, um, it's just I, such uh, a um, commitment, right? This this thing is frightening me. Yeah. With its huge commitment, fourteen hours for the first book, and then there's seven more books. Seven more yeah. books. I thought it was a three-book series. Well, it's a three-book series broken up into uh, uh, seven books. Seven audio books. Yeah. Seven audio audible yeah. credits. It, it, it came out as three credits. massive hardbacks. And um, Quicksilver was well, the first one. Well, Anathem was a good read. And... Smaller chunks. Yeah. Yeah, Anathem was it was a good read. I thought, um, but uh, yeah, quite a commitment when you sit down with that and think. And you'd like drop it on your desk, and it yeah. Through I, the desk. I'm just so hesitant to start something so massive. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of your posts that you have here. You've got the fat books thing. Was it? What do you say here? Yeah, fat um, fiction. Oh yeah, no, we talked about this on the last one, didn't we? Uh, we talked about the we talk about it no, often. Not the towers of midnight. About yeah, we talked about the, being the, so the huge. Yeah, the Brandon Sanderson one, that was it, when it was 36 CDs and 45 hours. Yeah. Um, which, and that's book one, book one in a however many long series there. Wow. Yeah, that, it's the um, Way of Kings there. It's, that's, uh, what, what's amazing is that he put out that, right? Oh. And he also, if you look at the top of this, this page, he also put out um, The Towers of Midnight, which is the Robert Jordan, Brandon Sanderson, second to last book in the, what is the Wheel of Time series? Yeah. Yeah. Um that's another 38 hours. I mean, can you imagine writing that much in such a, you know, uh, even if given given it's a 3 3 year window or something between the beginning of one book and the passing of another. It that's still a hell of a it's lot not, of he's writing. Doing, he, he's doing he's doing one of yeah, these books a year the, plus his own stuff. 
I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing workload. But he did, he did say that he's actually getting to the end of his backlog. He had like it sounds it feels like he's put out like five books in the last year, but he wrote them over a, you know an eight year period, and now he's he's getting so he's all the stuff that's coming out now is just new material that he's having to write as he goes along. So it's probably going to tr- drop down to one massive. 38 hour audiobook per year output wise you know plus yeah, and he only has the one more yeah. and i can see this this uh, way of kings is the first in a proposed 10 book series yeah of books that size 45 and a half hours is book one of 10 yeah yep that's, a, that's another large commitment a large commitment to, to yeah. actually i just that's uh, it, i that's just like it is uh, 10 it's, times it's, the size it's, of uh it's 10 times the size of the one i just finished and I I don't think I could finish ten ten uh, ten um, stainless steel rats in a row. I don't think I could do yeah. that, and that'd be just one the size of the Way of Kings, right? Yeah, and I could I could see he's got yeah, the, they've got the same narrators as uh, the Wheel of Time series. People must have hell of a long commutes, is what I'm thinking. You know, <laughs> you know, from from the from the letters I get, it's. Um, you know, I I walk around Central Park every morning. Um, I'm 60 years old and I'm doing my exercise and I want a chapter a day. And I do this every day, seven days a week. So I don't care if you give me something that's 50 hours long. Hmm. A retired persons with iPods walking around uh, Central Park. That 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 could do it. That sounds like a pretty good career. I think I'd like to go for Talking that. How do, you, how do you apply for that job? <laughs> well, you work your <laughs> lifetime. You do it's really a very well, long so interview process. Not eligible. Yeah. I'm not eligible quite yet. That's what you're saying. No, probably not. I just not. Uh, um, I, I, carry on, Greg. Sorry. I, I just I I get them from a wide range of people. It's that you know I get from in their 30s and 40s, and they're professional people, but they just get up at five o'clock every morning and go jog or whatever it is, and and so they want that continuity. Um, and usually they're complaining to me because. Um, I, I look for, you know, when I first started doing this, I looked for a a niche that wasn't being worked. And so I found that that's the novella kind of, you know, 15 to 25,000 word thing. And so the letters I'm getting are requests to do much longer stuff. So it, it, it comes at me from a different direction, but, but, uh, but yeah, they're people, but not going to the gym. They like speed walk around mm-hmm. the lake in the morning or whatever it is. And, and that's, that's their time to listen to audio books. And, and, you know, so I get these letters that are like, wow, that was really great, but could you do one that's, you know, a hundred thousand words or something? So, and so I, and I don't know why they have that desire. I guess it's just, you know the the approach to how they conceive of their little walk around the lake, as it were. But uh, they like but that they like your voice, there. Greg. I think they just yeah. Well, you know, it grumbles <laughs> like it, like Jesse said. Uh, did um, I say grumble? And, I don't know, something like that. And not grumbling. Like one word per sentence. <laughs> yeah. Well, my 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 narrative voice isn't like my normal voice. I mean, if I were to actually speak to you in my normal voice, it would sound like Urkel or something. So, um, you know, yes, that's an affected voice that I put on, and and it's not everybody's cup of tea, but most people seem to like it. Uh, I'm looking at your acoustic pulp page, and you you told me how to decode the most recent arrivals. It's in the bottom right hand corner. Um, it says for yeah. regulars. Uh, my complaint, as always, is no RSS feed for this blog. So, 
I, I have to remember to go there instead of just see what's on it. But looking at the list, is it, it, the top says, Sam, This Is You by Marie Leinster. Is that the most recent edition, or is it just a, a mishmash collection of recent editions? Because some of these I, I've already read, read the or heard the audiobook version. Black Amazon of Mars by Lee Brackett. That, that's one of the new ones. Um, which, which is the most yeah. recent completion? Um, no, you, if you're looking for something that's recent, I would go, uh, that's good. Uh, if mm-hmm. you haven't listened to The World That Couldn't Be by Clifford Simak. I'm looking at that one, yeah. Worth, worth a listen. Um, Sam, This Is You and Raya's Foundling are shorts that I did for the short story collections. Um, and right now I'm working on, see, so the thing I'm working on isn't on that list. I'm doing John Kendrick Bangs, The Idiot. Um, oh, he's uh, the uh, uh, Bangsian uh, fantasist. <clears throat> Correct, correct. And he has a series of books about a character called the Idiot who is anything but, uh, but he lives in a in a boarding house and everyone dismisses him as foolish and so he can say whatever he pleases and insult people left and right because they don't feel he's of any value. And he has all these crazy ideas about the world and he outlines them in it and, and, and so there's um but that's not that's not science fiction. Um, you know, the 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 recent science fiction, like I said, I would go for the world that couldn't be if you haven't listened to it. Um, I think you you posted about the hate disease, mm-hmm. which is also pretty good. Um, uh, yeah, the world that couldn't be is going to be next on my list of Greg books, I think. Yeah, and in terms of what's coming up, I've got, oh, I don't know. I got a Ray Galoon story called Asteroid of Fear. Got some Lester Del Rey, Jack Williamson, Pal Anderson, and four or five Edmund Hamiltons that I've been trying to get to. But nice. Um, so I think the next one will be Pal Anderson's Industrial Revolution. But we'll hmm. we'll see. I don't know. It's a it's a whim sort of thing with me. Um, I, I when I do these things, I say uh, you know <laughs> it's a big push, and the time in between isn't. Uh, it's like the way you guys put out your podcasts. So I say, okay, over the next three days, I'm going to do this book. And then what happens on day four, I don't know. And I think about it and see how busy I am. And a couple of days go by and then I suddenly plot out, okay, for the next five days, I'm going to do this book and bang, I do it. So it's all done in a very intense sort of like improvisational, you know, you guys, I don't read it up front. I just pick it up and start reading it and, um, and hope it comes out. Okay. And, uh, I noticed, uh, sorry, I, I just, I didn't mean, I thought, I had a lag there. Sorry. Uh, keep talking. I was just going to talk. Uh, mention A Horse's Tale is a Mark Twain story that is told in part. I, I remember reading about this uh, recently. It's uh, told in part by the horse. Is that, is that right? Boy. Yeah, Soldier and, Boy, the horse. Yeah, and that, I just released that two or three days ago. He's Buffalo Bill's favorite horse. It's a really good story. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone who wants to listen to it, but it's well worth a listen. If you've read A Dog's Tale, um, which Twain wrote because his daughter was horrified at at dogs being vivisected, um, this is sort of a follow-up to that. And uh, it takes takes place mostly in in the western part of the United States at a cavalry post. Um, And this little girl uh, who has a special relationship with with Buffalo Bill and this horse. And, um, but Twain does, uh, Twain has a consistent approach to the way animals think. And one of the commonalities between these things is that like his dogs and his horses and stuff, they don't know what the words mean, but they just know that bigger words mean better things. Mm-hmm. And so they juxtapose these ridiculously big words next to one another 
thinking that it's important and, and that sort of thing. So they have a very innocent view of the world. Um, plus the, the problem with the horse's tail, I've wanted to do it for a long time, but it has six or seven bugle calls in it. Literally, the, the manuscript is there. And I had to come up with the time to actually record the bugle calls. Um, ah. but, but I finally got around to it, and they're in there. Did you, did you record them yourself? Yeah. <laughs> Just happen to have a bugle lying around? Yeah, I, 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 I happen to have about a hundred instruments <laughs> lying around. Um, I, I just yeah. <laughs> noticed you've, you've done, uh, you've done a, a new um, uh, Jonathan Swift here as well. Is that after the, we had a conversation about uh, Swift on one of our previous po- podcasts? I'm sure it was you I was talking to. Yeah, about it this. was. And it suddenly occurred to me that I didn't have any Swift in my catalog at all. So I went and, and got... Uh, an argument against abolishing Christianity and did that. And I've done one of his poems since then, uh, The Logicians Refuted. Uh, but I'm going to do a lot more Swift. I just didn't want to bunch it all up all at once. I'm going to spread it out. So he's yeah, I was going to say, because I, I guess the authors and all. I was going to say the pamphlet length is probably a really good time if you've only if you've not got much time to record, you can sit down and and knock out a uh, a little essay, I guess, quite quickly yeah. rather than a longer well, we were, like a we novella length like story. Gulliver. Yeah, right. We were talking about Gulliver yeah. on that on that previous podcast, and then Jesse said he wanted to do it as a podcast, and I sat down and and looked at the text and was absolutely positively determined to, to do the book before we did the podcast in January and scheduling wise, it's just impossible. So I, well, I, I put new it. year. I didn't say but January. We could put it to February if we had to. I mean, really we're in December uh, <laughs> already, right? So I, I, I still haven't even started with on the, Hyperion yet, which is our next, uh, yeah. next well, with the, with the iambic things heating up, um, they're going to get priority, and so I've got uh, a mystery I have to do next, and then we're doing our science fiction push. Oh, did the mystery um, come through? Got... Did you get the uh, Did you get the job? No, no. That author Seymour Shubin didn't specify why, but he decided to decline my services. Oh, wow! Um, and somebody else is doing it, and it's it's interesting. The other guy who's doing it sounds. A lot like me, so I'm not really quite sure what the story <laughs> he, was. He there. didn't like your name, uh, Greg. Anyway, You're gonna have I'm, to change it for your career. It's just, like Grover Gardner sounds really good. That's that sounds like a really yeah, good name, yeah, exactly. name change for you. Um, but the one, the one I need to audition for next is is really good. Um, it's it's called "Thought You Were Dead" uh, by a woman named Terry Grimes, a Canadian. Oh yeah, uh, about a slacker who's the protagonist and and it's perfect for me because i am that sort of intellectual slacker that's perfect for that thing um but i she hasn't gotten me the text yet and so i haven't uh, started it but then after that we have the we've cut deals with five or six um science fiction publishers already hey. apex ben bella bunduran pyre edge and tachyon nice. and there's a bunch of others but they're not they're not public yet and so we're we're sorting through those books and and picking the science fiction round next. Um, but I got to get the the mystery out of the way before I can get onto the science fiction, and and we'll see how it goes. But the the iambic stuff, uh, you know, we're trying to well, we're trying to build the catalog up from scratch and have something that's worthwhile. Um, and so every you know, I'm just giving it higher priority, as it were. Um, but uh, this woman, Terry. Griggs hasn't gotten me the 
the, the text for her book yet. And so I've been spinning my wheels over at LibriVox. And so I did four or five new things there. But uh, as soon as that comes through, you'll see me disappear from LibriVox and focus on the iambic books. Um, and things are going pretty good. Um, you know, Hugh tells me out of the first 11 books we put out, we've um, sold hundreds. Uh, and that's in about a month. So um, That's you know, pretty good considering how been, little publicity there is so far, yeah. right? Um, it, we got a, a nice puff piece on Salon. Uh, oh. The New York Times uh, made a one-line reference to us with a link. Um, and there's a bunch of other uh, you know, media outlets that have talked about it. it. Mostly they're focused on the fact that we don't use DRM and, mm. and they want to discuss the, that aspect of it. Right. Um, and that it, it seems to be a new, a new business model for audio book publishing and everyone's you know, watching um, and we have all these little presses and the people are very, uh, you know, uh, the Gordon Lish book I did, um, I didn't, the, 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 the publisher was, the, the publisher's title was OR. And so I sent him an email, like, you know, just a cold email to the receptionist saying, I got to say this word. Is it or as in iron or, or is it the letters O and R or what is it? And I mean, it wasn't even 10 minutes. I got a response back from them. So they're, they're, these publishers are definitely on board and, um, and they're excited about, about doing it. Um, you know, I don't know what to say beyond that. That sounds, it sounds like it's, it's the going the right way. Um, I wanted to ask you before, it sounds like we're wrapping up, and I don't want that to happen before I ask you. A Dog's Tale, I, I notice, is available on LibriVox, but not by you. Uh, are you planning on doing that one, or is it... Uh, I, don't, I don't do is stories. Is there one you recommend? No, I don't do stories. I recommend it, but I don't do stories that are already in the catalog. That sounds good. So even if someone not a good or as good a reader has already done it. My, my goal over at LibriVox is to widen the catalog as much as I possibly can. So if I find a copy of it, I generally don't do it unless it's something I truly, truly love. Like there was a copy of, uh, uh, Captain Stormfield's visit to heaven, mm-hmm. uh, but I did that anyway. That's just, that's just, I had to, I couldn't stop myself. So, um, so I will do some things, but it's very rare. I think I've duplicated maybe two stories out of the 325 that I've done. Well, that's, that's perfect. Uh, I, I think uh, we're getting close to the end here. Uh, Paul, any closing thoughts on our recent arrivals, yes. new releases, or anything? Um, well, there's, uh, there's one book that I'm eagerly awaiting delivery of. Um, it's uh, an audiobook version of The Many Coloured Land by Julian May. Um, it's just coming out from Blackstone. Um, I first read these books back in the 80s when they first came out. Um, absolutely loved them. I've reread them a couple of times, and they're only now coming out in audiobook. So it's literally in the post to me just now. Uh, the first book in the series, read by Bernadette Dunn, or Dune, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, who I haven't heard uh, read anything before, but d- really looking forward forward to this uh, series because I was starting to get about time I reread these, these books and then just they were starting to they were going to be bringing out uh, bringing out as an audiobook finally it's like yeah having that um it's got a great cover I'm looking at it on the, the, have you read the books 
Yeah, I've read them. Um, have you read the uh, the other ones, which is like a, an associated series? Because these were written first, but then there was like Jack the Bodyless um, and these other books, which... Uh, 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 yes, the Galactic Milieu, which was set... Which was basically, the Many Coloured Land is book one of the saga of the Pliocene Epoch, which was a four-book four series about exiles from a fairly near future where mankind's made contact with uh, the galactic milieu, a multi-alien uh, galactic civilization with psychic powers, and a group of misfits who don't really fit in with that society and culture have travelled back in time through uh, a freak um, scientific experiment um, to... I can't remember how far back... The Pliocene Epoch, say, 6 million years BC. It's the Pliocene, um, it's the Pliocene, it's, it's the a, 6 million years or so. Yeah, uh, but it's a one-way trip. You go back, you can't come, you go back there, you can't come forward in time again, otherwise you instantly age 6 million years. Um, so they go back, they can't take any technology. That's hell on your skin. <laughs> yeah, and they can't, and, and no one with psychic powers can go back. So, it follows one particular group. I mean, from from the setting, it's there's a lot of people who are constantly travelling back. Um, so the people are, they've no idea what they're going back to. Um, so they go back, and what they find, I'm not going to give any spoilers. They find things are definitely not what they were expecting. Um, yeah, and it's an well, it wonderful, wonderful story. Lots, lots of great characters. It, it's um, the thing the is, it's Mealy set up. Trilogy set, uh, the Galactic Melee trilogy is three books plus another book, which was split into two in the U- in the US. Uh, Intervention, which is about the aliens when they first make contact, is about how some of the characters who appear in the first series got back there. It's alluded to in the series how these rebels and criminals ended up in back in the Pleistocene Epoch, whereas uh, the Galactic Melee series actually follows through how they, who these characters and how they came to be there, and you get a totally different impression of the characters from that. From that, it's really, some yeah. of the, the I, most favourite books I've ever uh, read is these ones. The, the, Oh, I I have a slightly differing opinion. Okay, books, but the, I think these are the books which I actually coined the terms um, sequel fatigue and prequel fatigue about. I'm not sure if it was these books entirely, but it was one of those things that I was reading it. And uh, however, it sort of pays off at the last book of the entire series of the seven books that are out there. Suddenly, it, there's this like literally the last line, and they go, and then he went here, and I'm like, oh shit! And then suddenly the whole book is cast in a different light from what I first, you know, when you first start reading it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, like this. And and I thought yeah. that was a, a an interesting, uh, uh, a very interesting way of of constructing the whole thing. I was like, was this in mind? Was this whole thing in mind right from the beginning of the series, or was they? Or did she yeah. suddenly uh, think at the end, oh, I could just put this bit in? But no, what you say before about them starting to go back in time—that was one of my favorite parts of the first book, or the of of this like yeah. first series of of the first four books, which I do think sort of like go a little bit off course 
in the in the third and fourth books, they sort of they sort of meander around a bit. But in the first book, it's like, right, we're going back in time. What we're going to need? Right, we're going to need this, and we're going to need that. And I'm going to take a vineyard. I'm going to take this. I'm going to make wine there. So I'm going to take this, uh, you know, this bit of this uh, this yeah. bit of vine, and I'm going to start a vineyard just with this. And these other people, and and they're getting everything set up. And you're like, oh man, these guys are going to be ready for everything. They're packing boats. They're packing seeds. They're passing everything, and they're going to go back in time six million years. And they turn up. And like you say, it's not how they expect. And all of that, like first half of the first book, they just go, okay, forget all of that. It's completely different. Now what we're going to do is this. And you're just like, whoa, wait a second. And you, as the reader, are thrown off in the same way. Again, I don't want to spoil what they actually yeah. do find there. I thought that was such well, a course, clever by way. That time, yeah, by that time, you know the characters that you're going to be following through. So all that preparation, yeah. it's not wasted. It's all built into knowing oh, no, the no. characters so you can follow them through. Yeah, yeah, uh, but I just thought it was it was so clever that it because it, it's setting up. It's like this is going to be like a, a really fun. It's going to be science fiction. Maybe they're going to meet dinosaurs. Well, not dinosaurs. You know, six million years ago, but they're not quite sure what they're going to yeah. meet, and it's going to be this, or it could be that, and could be this. Uh, yeah, and then they they go back in time, and you're like, actually, it's going to be a completely different book, and you're like, all right. <laughs> but yeah, there's some there's yeah. some sections it's there been, as been... well, like the flooding of. The flooding of the Mediterranean, you know, every time I sail past Gibraltar yep. now, um, I, I see it in a different way just because of that book. It's got some really great scenes in it. Sounds like a, yeah. a good book. Yeah. Does it stand well it's, on its, it's own, though? A few years since I read it, so. Um, uh, I put, the first book I'm you could probably, probably get not, away it, reading. It really is. Yeah, the, 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 it's definitely a four-book series. It's, it's one arc across those four books. Um, so I'll, 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 it, I'm I just saying say that the first book you you'll can get probably read. The first book, you'll know what, what comes next. Yeah, so, but I'm just saying if you wanted to just sorry, read one of the books, you could probably just do the first book and stop. You could probably just do the first book and stop. But yeah, you really need to get through the end, except it should have really been a three-book series because, like I said, I don't think there's enough story in the last two books to actually get, you know, to, 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 hold, to hold the last two books in the first series of four books. Mm. Anyway, well, I like that it's review. old and it's science fiction and it's, it's, it's still holding people's attention. That, that, that's the kind of book I'm looking for, so that sounds right. No. Um, so I, I mentioned I'm, re- I'm listening to The Speed of Dark. I've just finished. Uh, uh, I've just finished the uh, first in the uh, Stainless Steel Rat series, um, and I'm, I started listening to the Blake Seven audio drama series. Have you heard any of that, Paul? I haven't. No, um, really, only just watched the TV series when it was on at the time. I've uh, never really followed anything after that. Oh well, the uh, audio drama series is is a really uh, most excellent. I'll, maybe I'll send you a review of one of my ones and let me know if you you're interested because I, I think cool. I think more people should be checking this out. I I, I lost the CD. It's was sitting on uh, a stack of stuff to be reviewed that got moved somewhere hard to find, and, and I'm finally getting to it. And actually, this might be <coughs> one of the best ones yet. It's it's very science fictiony. It gives you ideas about the show that you you know the show was more star trekky than it was science fictiony and yet um i'm finding that the the audio drama series is very uh very science fictiony very full of ideas about about the place that it's in and it is social science fiction and and more but so that's what i'm listening to um uh what about you luke what's next on your uh your list um 
I have oh, such a big chunk here. Let me have a look at what I've recently downloaded. Uh, on, I I think on the last time that we we're talking here, I talked about the 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 fire sign theater or whatever it was called. Uh, I couldn't get through them. They really annoyed me. Um, the uh, <laughs> it's the one that you said. Hey, if you read this, if you read, if you listen to this, and uh, uh, oh, if you want to listen to audio um, drama. Um, listen to this and you'll love it. And I just couldn't. I couldn't I'm not sure it. it's I audio drama. It's something. It, the, uh, yeah, it's not drama. No, the moon. No, no, but no, no. It was the it was the okay. moon. No, what was it called? Uh, I only I only tried listening to one, but I, I literally tried to get through it four, three or four times, and I just couldn't do it. And it's only like an hour long, but I, I couldn't. Are you get doing senior it. theater? So, Is that what you're talking about? Oh, which one was that? You said fire. That was the moon theater. mask. Yeah. Oh no, no. Moon mask. Fire sign theater. What, what? Yeah. Seeing your theater no, what? is what ah, you. Okay. I think if you're talking the moon mask, uh, the moon moth. Yeah. Sorry, the moon moth. Moon moth. That moon moth, but it's about masks. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't uh, like I, that. I, one. I, wow. I. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Something. Yeah, this is the one. I'm, I'm, this. <laughs> what's up, Greg? I'm glad it wasn't fire sign because <laughs> I'm telling. It, no, no, you know, it wasn't. I mean, it was, okay. Okay. They they can be it was, dated, it but you know. Definitely check out no, Don't I, Crush I, That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers, uh, or um, whatever the one with Nick Danger on it is called. Uh, how Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not Anywhere at All? Um, both yeah, no, not those ones. It was, a different, it was a different one than that. Uh, okay, so I finished um, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, which is, a, which is the big, hot youth uh, book, like young adult fiction book at the moment. Really good. Um, I've got, what else have I got here? Mistborn which I started, but I'm putting off a bit until I finished November, my own novel writing um, things. I've got Terminal World by Alistair Reynolds. Again, that's there to read too. I've got, um, what's this one here? Uh, Roger Zelazny's Lord of Light, which is highly recommended. Yeah, I've got that uh, I've here not too. read it. I've read a- I've read other books of his, but I've not read this one. Everyone's talking about this as though it's like amazing science fiction and fantasy mixed together, seamlessly, merged seamlessly, and um, and things like that. I've got Finch, but I worked out that was the third in a series, but I only watched oh, really? it after I started I listening to it. So, yeah, yeah, nobody nobody told me that. Uh, Finch Annoying. by Jeff Vandermeer. And also I've got, what else here? Oh, and I've just got an inbox full of emails about my last podcast that I recorded a call, which was about Flood um, by Stephen Baxter, which was terrible. Uh, and yet lots of people all picked out the one thing about the book, which I missed. And I must admit, I did miss it. But I think I missed it because it's such a bad book that what they're saying is a thematic exploration. I just thought found bad writing and uh, yeah, annoyingness. So I'm going to have to like do quite a bit of feedback at the beginning of my next podcast. It, obviously, all these people I've got like eight emails here, um, and they guess they're all just they think I'm just ignoring them because I, normally I I, re, uh, I reply to every uh, email that I get except not at the moment. It's all building up, um, but I I keep meaning to do this new podcast, this review of. Uh, of the Hunger Games and actually do this uh, feedback at the beginning of the of the next episode, but I'll, I'll get there in the end. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've been looking forward to it for about six days since I saw your Goodread post saying, yeah, yeah, check yeah, it yeah. out. I said, I fit, I uh, you always put it yeah, up there and then I always <laughs> immediately go to your website and then it's not there and I get mad. Well, I only put it up there, I only put it up there um, 
straight away when I finish the book because I because I say oh this will be where the review is but it, I don't say I say it in the present tense like you can find the review here because I'm thinking most people who look at that page will be looking at it in the future once the review is actually done and out there um, I look at my also, good reads almost been... every day so and I don't I don't participate really? well, other I... than to see what people are reading yeah, well, I do. I I put stuff up there as well. Also, I there's Eiffelheim by Michael Flynn, which is a book about um, aliens invading medieval Germany, and it's it's not an audio book. But I I started reading it back at the beginning of the year. Got about 150 pages in. There is an audio book. Starting that yeah, again. We have an audio book review up on the site. So there is an uh, okay. audio book. Yeah. Well, version actually, it was it was a. It was. Eiffelheim. It's a. Uh, um, Eiffelheim by Michael Flynn. It was it was nominated for the Hugo Award a few years ago. Um, I'm not quite sure why. I don't think it's actually that good. I mean, it's okay, but it's 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 a, it seems to be a remarkably average book so far. It's it's actually a little bit like Doomsday Book, which part of it is told in the in the medieval setting, and then part of it is told in the modern day setting. Whereas the thing is, in this book, the modern day setting is like why the, why is this even in the book? Whereas all the the stuff about the medieval church uh, and all the festivals that are going on there, and how the aliens that have invaded well, they haven't invaded. They crash land in Germany in Bavaria, and then sort of become Christians in the Catholic Church and, uh, and I actually really like all of that section but every time it switched back to, every time it switched back to the modern day I'm just like oh for goodness I just, I just want to kill myself um, but yeah the aliens actually in, yeah, uh, the, 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 the future section is trying to foreshadow what's going to happen in the, the, the historicals uh, period but yeah there's, I think there's too much of it even though there's very little of it, every time it comes up, there's too much of it. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm enjoying that, too. I think that's all of it for audio. Uh, what else? No, I think that's about it. Book-wise, anyway, there's lots of other audio stuff that I'm doing. Well, that's uh, also, that's a good wrap. Oh, wait, what, what else you got? One more? No, no. No, no, I was just saying oh. that one day I, I'm actually finishing up now the final chapters of part three of um, my own series of science fiction books, which I've been writing over the NaNoWriMo's over the last few years. So I had Minding Tomorrow and then Combat, and then I've only titled it as Minding Tomorrow Part 3, which is I'm, I'm just finishing up now. I've got, like I say, a few thousand words to write until the end of this book. Uh, and, and then when I'm done that, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and edit all of the three books together to make sure it's a cohesive whole and apply what I've learned about writing since writing the first one to the first book um, yeah. and, then, uh, and, then, and then maybe do an audiobook version. I'd love to do that, but I never please, wanted to please. do an audiobook version. Uh, yeah, because I know you've never read it and never will read it until it's an audiobook. I, I, don't, to... I don't do e-books. That's, that's probably the real story. Yeah. Right? I just don't do e-books. Well, so I'll print it out I... on paper for you. No. Uh, it's possible. <laughs> it's, it's Creative possible. Commons. I'm releasing it as Creative Commons. You can print it out yourself if you want. That's a lot know. of ink. That's a lot of ink, man. Yeah. Well, I the thing is, you said, hey, we should put it up as as the as the SFF audio. Um, what is it called? The, no. the we need you to, to mm-hmm. the challenge, isn't it, or whatever it's mm-hmm. called? Um, where where you get people to actually record the books? What is it? Oh yeah, the the challenge. Mm-hmm. These books won't These read books themselves won't read unless they. And... Yeah. yeah, that's it. So. Uh, so I have, um, but I said when you said, that, hey, we should do that, I said no, because the book's not finished yet until I've completed the series, and then once I've completed the series, which was a planned, a planned trilogy right from the beginning, I'd just like to say that regarding our earlier conversation. Okay, yeah, um, I, was, I, was, I wasn't going to say anything about a series being uh, unwanted, but 
Uh, it, it's not always unwanted. It's just mostly unwanted. <laughs> well, the way the series works, the way the series works is that the first book is a standalone book, and then the second book is a standalone book. And the idea is that you can actually read them in either order. So you can read the second book first or the first book first, and they're sort of different books with sim- some characters in common set in the same world. Uh, and then the, the idea is that the third book sort of brings them together and, and pays off all of the uh, all of the stuff that's set up in the first two books. You and should release the them as an ace uh, double. You should release them as an ace double with the, with the, uh, the you know one one book on one side, one book on the other side, and then the third book is in the middle with uh, you know yeah, the font set, up and down, on, like, up and down, uh-huh. rather than you know like <laughs> at, a, at an angle, you know, so that so that the yeah like a landscape, uh, so you read it in the middle. Yeah, landscape. Yeah. Form. but you know it must be one of those things. I'm like. But also the way I'm looking at it is that actually I've realized now that I'm writing it, the second book is not really a stand. It is a standalone, but like you could probably go from book one to book three and not miss a huge amount. I, I don't know. I, I'd like, I need to sort it out a bit, I think, just in the editing, but it's going to take a while uh, to edit. You know, probably that's about, not much in the way of marketing. It, <laughs> he's not, he's not going <laughs> that? marketing. Uh, yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, saying, I'm not saying the skip, skip the second book. book. <laughs> No, I'm not saying. I'm saying that if you just read two books, uh, you could also read books one and three, and you could. It would still probably make some sense, but not uh, not enough sense. But I, what, so what I need to actually do is is write more follow up to book two in this third book to make you know to to pay off those characters a bit more because it's it could, does really go back and and follow a bit more of the story and the themes of the first book uh, rather than the second book in, in the third but the third book is really much like all of the cool ideas that i had in the first two books which were like yeah i want to put these in here uh but it's not really the place pretty much everything all the cool science fiction ideas which wouldn't have fitted in those first ones are, everything's going in this third book so it's it's a lot of fun to write um because it, everything fits now Greg's anyway, got, Greg's got uh, some some novels apparently under wraps as well, which which I am thinking yeah yeah sounded really interesting, what? really really interesting. Not and not not ready yet, right? No, no, it's not that. It's I don't publish anything under the name that you guys know me as. So it's not that really? there isn't anything out there. Grover Gardner. Really. Under Grover Gardner. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you the same hint I give everybody else. I use the real names of famous authors who used pseudonyms. Ah, nice. Randall Garrett. I, I don't, I don't, you're going to have so, to decode uh, that for me. So, for, for example, uh, George Orwell's real name was Eric Arthur Blair. So if I were going uh-huh. to use that, I'd publish as Eric Blair. So, um, but I, it destroys the suspension. I think that's of been done, though. It's, I think. Well, everything's been done, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yeah, concerned, probably but, by uh, Greg, apparently. <laughs> no, 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 I, I no, think no. I've, I've actually read no. books by by Blair, Eric Blair, like, because, and they took that name because it's the non pen name of. Um, oh, okay, okay. Yes, well, that's Michael. that's what I do. Those, that's how I pick the pseudonyms that I use to publish under. And, and where do you, where do you? Where do you release them then? Where do you release the books? Where do you publish? I I send them to publishers and they end up as paper books. And back okay. when I was a kid, I I got a, a variety of things in the pulps before they died. Um, so Greg just is as too the fan, a big a fan of mystery. I see. I I want the mystery solved. <laughs> now I want to know the answer, and and yet I'm not willing to 
put in the, the what, what do they call that, the legwork? <laughs> I just want the answer. Tell me the answer, Craig. Sorry, bud. It doesn't work that way. And there's a, a lot of people been bugging me for a lot of years, and I'm not going to do it, uh, you know, for the same reason. I mean, you, you complain about the little blog page I have that's that way because the LibriVox reader page isn't descriptive enough is the only reason that thing exists. Yeah. So, you know, when I write, I stay focused on the writing and all of the tertiary stuff that comes afterwards is of little or no interest oh, yeah. to me. So, no, lots of people yeah, are saying, I, oh, are you going to try and get published? And I'm like, the amount of work that I'm going to put in to do all of that is like twice as much work as all the, all the writing work that I've ever done. You know? And at the end of it, I may, but probably won't find any publisher willing to take my stuff anyway. So it's like, right, that's the right. work I'm and not it, interested in at all. Yeah, what Jesse and I were talking about was that I've got probably four, yeah, four novels over on the shelf that I've never even sent out and have no intention of sending out, and you can publish them after I'm dead. I just have no tolerance for the publishing industry anymore. So it's it's not like it was when I was young. You know, yeah, I, mean, I, think, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said for just, just putting it on the internet, because uh, let, you know, if, if you're doing it for the money, you're, you're going to spend a lot of time doing stuff that isn't, isn't the stuff you like, right? Because, Mar- you know, I've, I've said it before, lots of, Lots of writers, and I won't name specifically which one, but there are lots of writers that are good enough writers, but they're really savvy marketers. You know, that's what they're they're right. oh, yeah. great at. They're great at networking and, and writing to the market and all that stuff. And and really, I don't care so much about hype at all. Uh, you know, so I don't care how many times that movie's been advertised. As long as I'm interested in the subject, I'm going to be wanting to see the movie. And if 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 I just get enough information to know that it exists, that's usually enough for me. And I know that's not true for the majority of yeah, people. But, so well, a, a movie called Red the... Belt. Did you guys ever see this movie? Yeah, yeah, great movie. The, the, Amazing uh, movie. I, I just knew. Arts movie? Yeah, yeah, I just saw one name in a tiny little ad in the newspaper. It said Mammoth, and I said, "Oh, Mammoth's got a new movie. Oh, let's go see that." And it was playing at one theater. You know, when we got in there, there was two people in the movie theater. That was me and the guy I went with, who also liked Mammoth, right? And I, I, I don't know, probably went straight to video after that one showing or whatever. But great little movie, no marketing. Yeah. That's just yes, but follow the, the author. Again, and, the, on the strength of Mammoth's name alone. I mean, the, the problem is that on one hand, you can go through the, the traditional publishers, and they've got distribution channels, and they manage to get ink r- written about your book, which, which is okay for sales. If you go via the web, um, yes, it's available worldwide, but there's, you're, you're drowning in, a, in, a, in an ocean full of crap. And you can't get your message heard. So I think. Oh, yeah. Come on the SFF audio podcast. That'll, that'll, that'll help you. That's Maybe. correct. No, that's. <laughs> and, I, and I've told you there's such a thing as the Jesse Willis bump. I can, I can, I can mathematically prove that when you write up something about me, I get more downloads, period. So, so yeah, there, there are forces really? out there that. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I, yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah, I mean, the thing the is, I is, get offers. I get offers all the time, like a few a week from people, like from publishers saying, hey, we've got this new book out, or authors saying, hey, my first book's been published, or hey, I've got this book when you read it, and I just send back the stock email saying, look, I don't take, I don't take any, um, any books or any submissions from, no, no I can't do it, I mean, because I've got enough books to read just from people 
you know, saying, hey, you should read this. You know, like listeners who actually care about what I'm doing. You know, the listeners care about what I want to read because they want me to read books that they like and stuff like that. The publishers don't care about what I want to read. They, yeah. want to care, they only care there about is, what my listeners want There is this dynamic to. that, you, you know, I've got a big yeah. stack of stuff in front of me and I, I look at it and say, well, if this is what I'm picking from, what would I pick rather than – Rather than I, I've got something, so I feel I need to do it. I do feel that, but I also fight against it, and and so um, yeah. we got this podcast to help me decide what I'm going to read next. The Dan Wells book sounded really interesting, but I've still I've yeah. I've got to finish the uh, Speed of Dark, which I'm going to talk to Luke about, and we're going to sort out my Pogo pr- plug so that we can get uh, Hyperion and everybody sorted. Uh, Paul, is that the way you're doing it? Yeah, Paul. Any uh, any closing thoughts? been so long since we heard from you are we, are we still doing the podcast now we're still still <laughs> on the podcast because i thought we finished. Ah, i thought we finished this ages ago i thought we we're shortly just now shortly no yeah i'm still here still here um no i think you've pretty much covered everything i was wanting to mention um did scott send you an audiobook recently yes i haven't started it yet though which uh, one was it uh, david david weber um oh, right the new david weber out of the dark or something out, like that out of, that's the one, Out of the Dark. Um, the last David Weber I uh, listened to, I didn't like. It was uh, book three of the, his Safe, Safe Hold uh, series. It's just, it's, his story's going too, too slowly. Uh, he's, he set up this world where um, man, the last survivors of mankind have been hidden away from an alien menace that's trying to commit genocide. And they've got to survive on low technology, and there's uh, an an artificial um, robot with a human intelligence in it that's trying to raise the technology level against uh, a church that's trying to keep the technology down. And I figured by book three, the story would be much further ahead than it is. Uh, It's just crawling and it's in right into the minute details of uh, how things are moving, and uh, it is it's just going too slow for me. Well, I like I like that you said this? artificial robot because that made me think of natural robot, and I, now I want to read a story with a natural robot. <laughs> that sounds awesome. That's oh no, there is one. There awesome. is one. I've read this in science fiction. I have no idea which book it is, but there's these there's these robots turn up, and they're like, "Well, how do? You, where did you robots come from?" And they're like, "Well, our history is so long, but we think actually we evolved from nothing." And they're actually natural robots because they actually they can take themselves apart and break themselves down, and they you know they've like evolution has actually played its part its role on you know ah, um, yeah on like artificial no it's like natural selection right. on. Artificial, like constantly rebuilding artificial um, bits and things like that. That, and, but, that they is they exactly the audiobook from. I'm listening to right now. I forgot about this one. Uh, it's called Which What one? Technology Wants. It's by Kevin Kelly. He apparently. Uh, oh no! This a this is a science founder. fiction book. It was uh, yes, but this is exactly on topic because he was he's talking uh, about how technology is actually uh, you know sort of going back to when we talked about Earth abides you know uh, and talked uh, about art and techne and all that stuff this is ta- he he's his basically his book is a thesis saying that technology is is evolution of of objects um but more importantly that technology as the title says technology has a goal just like 
uh, evolution has, or at least one goal, it has goals, right? So it, it's a very fascinating um, book so far. I'm really impressed by by what he what his thesis is, but it's also very speculative in that he's saying, this is what I, I see, this is my experience, and talking about, you know, h- how technology evolves in its progress through language and through our desire for more material, but not to have material, and all the different points. He, he's a founder of Wired, and uh, he runs a blog called Cool Tools, which is recently featured on... on um, Boing boing. So, um, so you might want to check this out. I, I'm really impressed by this book so far. Narrator's yeah, I don't, not super. Personally, I don't think evolution has a goal. Goal. I think you know the anthropic principle goals, says goal. that we think it has a... goals. It, yeah, it just it. I I, I seem to yeah, be a maybe. goal. I seem to be a goal by evolution, right? Or a creature's no, you're not. needing eyes. You're just a very, <laughs> humans are just a very successful way of creating more genes which make humans. You know, yeah. I'm very much of a kind the... of like selfish gene kind of way looking at that. Now there is there are some there are some overall um, patterns to evolution. For example, the one that I like to think about most is the actual that evolution like um, organisms which are helpful to evolution are uh, um, selected for. In other words, that if you have a, a system or an, an organism which can't evolve very well, it's not going to be selected for, whereas the organisms which can evolve quite quickly are selected for. So after every mass extinction, there's actually been life has managed to reestablish itself in all the different niches um, quicker each time because when life first started, it didn't evolve very well. But now life can evolve even quicker and quicker and quicker. And now, of course, when we've got like technology in there as well, we can select for it. And we're now the new um, thing which makes... Um, which makes evil. We're the the new uh, mechanism ha- where evolution or the process of evolution can actually be speeded up to be yes. more, that's, and that's now this more. Is not, this forward. is not in in yeah. conflict with his thesis. It's okay. not in conflict. I, I'm just no. saying that I, I don't. I don't. I've never seen goals, even with technology. I'm, I don't. Well, see that's my. Goals in that's technology. my my uh, saying. Saying like okay. eyes are something that uh, different species, different uh, genus. Uh, select for right uh, that eyes uh, perceiving the world through vision is m- more beneficial than not having vision right and so uh, no no only in, only in where some, the wavelengths of niches. light are good for them right yeah you, you go to the bottom of the so, ocean they won't evolve eyes I I yeah. totally get what you're saying but you know we got squids with it's eyes all about niches we got people with eyes they're filling the niches doesn't that, matter. That, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what, what the dispute is here, other than you don't like the word goal. Yeah, because no, that's I think the actually... point is that it, it, I, I think that technology Correct. or technique is is part of evolution. They're not two separate things. And I also agree with Luke. The universe tries everything, and the vast majority of the things it tries die out, and those that don't develop techniques which allow them to move forward you know before there was darwin there was lamarckism mm-hmm. um and and now we have punctuated equilibrium so the you know the idea of evolution has has already evolved three or four times that i'm aware of and that's based on technique that, that that's come up with um and so that technology which is a form of the word technique is just part of evolution I don't no, see them as such. I, 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 I'm, I'm it's, following it's, it's you. It's 100% to, agreement to, to, so far. Okay. Well, okay. so so goal-wise, there is no goal. The universe tries 
everything. And most of it dies. <clears throat> but the stuff, the stuff that is, is uh, dying is the stuff that is not the goal of whatever no, particular it, niche no, we're no, going uh, for. If you're no. looking for a goal, I would go look at zero-point energy before I looked at evolution because that's where the narrative of the universe might be stored if I were going to consider that as an alternative. But, uh, you know, I, evolution to me is just a, a function of the physical world in attempting every possible permutation of every possible combination that, that could ever possibly be over an incredibly long period of time. And uh, most of the things it tries don't work and, and they die out. And so to say that that's a goal, uh, it, it doesn't, it just seems like the, the, the thing is spread across the whole spectrum. It's trying everything and only some things work. So there is no goal to that. If you're trying every possible alternative, you don't have a goal. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. What, it's, uh, it's, incredible, it's incredible randomness controlled by quite strict um, selections. That's all it is. And the selections yeah. are, or the selection criteria isn't a goal that's being imposed. All it is is a selection criteria. And in every niche, it's yeah. a different one. In outer space, the selection criteria is so, like being able to survive in about, air. And that's uh, quite harsh. Like, I'm talking about a pull and you're, you're talking about a push is what, what it is. Uh, so think of the cat. Okay. I even the say cat, a push. The cat in Red Dwarf, right? The way I always thought of the cat in Red Dwarf is the reason he looks like a person with a little bit of cat personality is because... He had uh, a species evolving to fit, uh, fit the niche within, you know, the, the fish dis- dispenser is a certain height from the floor, right? And you have to have this, say the word fish to get to the, to the fish, right? You press the button, you say the oh. word fish, it, it gives them the fish, right? That would be, yeah, I, that would be the point. Yeah, I've never really held up. I've never really held up the cat from Red Dwarf as, a, as not, a good example. I'm not saying it's realistic. I'm not saying it's realistic, but uh, but there is given given the gravity of this planet, given uh, uh, the fact that two eyes are, are three eyes is not what? much of an improvement over two eyes, at least pointing in the same direction. Then uh, you can see that there is a a uh, pattern that emerges, a pattern of bilateral symmetry, uh, a pattern of bunch of a bunch of other yeah. patterns that uh, that emerge from a given set of circumstances. And but, but, but I'm not going to call that a goal anymore. Just... But I'm going to say there's a there's a position that appears. Yeah, in in this this one tiny that... niche that we call it. Yes, of course. This one sample time... size of one. No, well, I'm not talking about the cat anymore. I'm just saying, I'm saying on the planet Earth. No, 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 I'm saying Earth. I'm saying Earth is a sample size of one. You know, that's it. Yeah. Exactly. On Earth, bilateralism evolved and took hold, and there hasn't been enough mutation uh, to survive to allow an alternative to bilateralism. So it's there. Oh, there is alternative. There is alternative. If you look at... What example? It's spread very on, wide, uh, but there is but there is a starfish. A starfish is actually um, unilaterally, but then it, it actually wraps around and joins up with itself again. So actually, the yeah. five Flowers stars, the five yeah. legs, yeah. the Flower five, the five legs of a yeah. starfish are actually 
five legs in in a line, but they just happen to be wrapped round. You know, that's uh, so that these other templates do exist, and they're very successful. I mean, you know, star, uh, starfish is no less successful than humans in a way. I mean, they keep going and keep doing yeah. it, and probably all the humans will die out. There'll well, probably still be uh, a few success, left successful. Over. Might be an interesting word to to complain no, about. Successful too. in other. In what I mean is that they pass their genes on to the next generation. That's all that success means right. with life. How about how about that's if it, if it. we look at the wider uh, net of just saying um, talking about different niches fit right different niches fit what species other than humans fits as many species maybe rats I don't know protozoa could be right humans can live in Arctic temperatures or uh, tropical no, they, temperatures not very well but you know no. uh, that's not true Inuit lived not in the, extension. the Arctic for yeah, you... thousands of years. No, look, okay, man creates extensions, okay? So everything yeah. from a, a shirt to an atomic bomb is an extension of humanity. You can't live at the North yeah. Pole without using some extensions exactly. that you create. Exactly, exactly. Okay. And th- th- that, yeah. that is, th- so uh, going back to the book for a second, he's saying evolution is, is in our technology because it's, we are a part of evolution and we have evolved uh, the ability to evolve external non parts of our body uh, evolution. So for a coat, right. Uh, or cooking, right. These are all things that are processes uh, to, to do what other animals do internally. We do externally culture, language, sure. all that stuff. This is all part of technology and evolution is his thesis. And it is I haven't finished. I just started the book, but it's very interesting. I'm just saying, like I, I've, I think I've just had this this idea explored in so many science fiction books. I don't actually think I need to read someone's thesis about it because for me, it's sort of, you know, if it's that basic, it's either self evident or I just disagree with it. If it's anything more complex, which hmm. is, but that, maybe that's. My no, I'm not. Idea. I'm not insisting that you read the book. I'm just saying. Um, that's fun. <clears throat> <laughs> that's what I'm reading. No, the, I mean, the, I one, think this one, thing is. Carry uh, on, Greg. I, I think this thing is focusing on, I mean, you know, we don't wait to evolve to grow wings. We build airplanes. Mm-hmm. And, and so the question is, is the airplane part of the evolutionary process? And I think that Luke and I are saying, yeah, technology is a function of evolution. And that's yeah, and that's obvious. what he's saying. And, and now apparently I'm just the slow guy who, who's just realizing, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it took no, a no, couple of no, I'm just saying, make me say, "Aha! Uh-huh, now I get it." Um, well, I it's not. It's not. It's not super so obvious, at least to me. You guys just evolved a little faster on this particular uh, issue than I did. I think quite hard about this kind of stuff. Um, the, yeah, uh, me too. The, the I wrote the book, which is the the um, which is the retelling of the War of the Worlds from the aliens' point of view. And quite a major theme of that, like if you when you read the original book, they're saying that the uh, the the aliens are like these slug-like creatures which can't get on very well, and they're not very moved. And then they get in the machines, and then they're suddenly all you know beautiful, and you know they're they're graceful and things in the machines. But you know their bodies on Earth weren't very good, and that's contrast. You know you contrast that directly to the the humans, where we're all like lithe and you know graceful and stuff. And then we well back then when it was written, we get into the machines, which were like trains and cars, and they're like on rails and you know clunky things and um 
you know, it talks about the, uh, the uh, what do you call it, the um, Thunder Child, which is the, which is the uh, steam, the mm-hmm. torpedo steamer and stuff like this. It's just yeah. this Hulk, and the, he makes it out to be beautiful, and it's got streamlines and stuff like that. But actually, it's nothing compared to the, 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 uh, the technological advances of the alien stuff. Well, there's loads of other stuff in the book, but that's one of the major themes that I was playing with when I was writing the book, um, which is the, is the fact that when, you, when we get into a car, we don't, we're, no, we're no longer aware of what our legs and our hands are doing. Mm-hmm. We become... Uh, the car becomes an extension of us to such an extent that when we go over a bump, we don't think, oh, that bump came up through my bottom and I felt it in my fingers and stuff like that. We feel the shocks. Bumpy, yeah. you know, we, feel, we feel the shocks through the shockwave, through the car. And if something goes wrong with the engine, it goes, Vroom! and you don't feel, you don't think, ah, oh, the engine is making this noise, which means that. You'd think, ah, oh, the car's unhappy or, you know, you know there's something wrong here. <laughs> and you actually, it's, it's all there, but you don't feel like the car is an extension of you. Um, because it suddenly is an extension of you, if you know what I mean. And, I, and, and it, the, the fun thing about writing The War of the Worlds from the, the aliens' point of view is that you could, I could actually talk about this when, when, the, when the aliens, were well, one of this alien, there's lots of other layers as well in the book, um, but one of the aliens uses the, uh, the, one of the, the, the fighting machines for the first time, and, and it's the first time he's had this experience, and you know, he just dials into it, and it is like, he, it's like it, I, I switch... The first-person narrative is no longer talking about him inside the inside the machine. It's suddenly he is now the fighting machine, and the the um, the the one of the thematic payoffs of the book is where it suddenly it's not just him. Like his narrative goes all the way through to the red weed and out as well. You know, it's sort of like not just that. It's sort of like the the larger extension um, of of the uh, of the idea as well. Uh, in a way that we yeah. could, we could probably learn. What's the title of this book? From that, I haven't I haven't. I've got it I've yet. got I've, it, I've I, got the title for you. You ready? What is it? The world of the wars. What's that? The world of the wars. No, no. At the moment, at the moment, it's under the working title is Human Danger because I I quite like that, and it's it's from the first page of the book as well. Human Danger uh, of of the of the the Wells original, um, but. Uh, it, because it's it's like human are the danger and yeah. they are a danger to humans as well. So that's it's a little bad. play on words, but that's just a working title, just called Human Danger in in my head at the moment. But uh, there's so, a, there's a so, lot more to it. That what's up, Greg? Another. I was going to say, did did in your conception of it, did they bring <laughs> the red weed with them on purpose, or did it hitchhike? It was. It's a. It's a hitchhiking. Uh, no, it's a. It's a purpose for. They brought it with them, but. Then it's a it's an accidental release. Let me put it that way. Okay. Oops, we okay. spilt it. So, so the the the, the idea the the the, con- the the concept of the book is that everything in the book in the in the original in the Wells original is canon, and everything in my book isn't. But everything but everything in the in the Wells has to be true, if that makes sense. However, right, that's right, told right. from a point of view of a, a Victorian journalist who probably doesn't know about. For example, genetic engineering, um, nano engineering, uh, all these other engineering, all the technology. Yeah, it doesn't have the word laser when when the heat beams. Yeah, it doesn't have the word laser. But and also it, he talks all the time about this green mist and the and the, the green mist spurting out from the from the joints of the of the uh, 
and it's never explained. Whereas I can, I can go, ah, oh, I can explain that. And also the, the idea that the, um, that the, the, the Martians don't have stomachs, which is, you know, now seen as a strange thing because we know that, you know, you can't just inject blood into you and survive in that way. But the idea that I have is that you, you, the, um, the, the aliens They're like themselves. the butterflies. They're the butterflies. Well, They're the, the uh, breeding stage, not yeah. the, uh, not, not the, not the uh, breeding stage. Actually, stage. what they are, they're, they're the they're the invasion stage. So what they are is actually a uh, um, mm. a a genetically constructed body which is specifically designed to go down to Earth, survive in the atmosphere of Earth, survive in the gravity of Earth, and power, drive these machines. And also in the book, it talks about this other race of of Martians, which um, they said that they oh they probably brought them with them as food on the way. And it's only it's only like half a paragraph which talks about these. They're sort of like more human shaped. They've got two two arms, two legs, a body, and things like that. Those are actually the true aliens. What happens at the beginning of the book is that these these things that are actually mentioned in the Wells book, which are just thought, oh, these are just food supplies. No, they're actually the original aliens. But um, they actually upload their memories. Uh, or they sort of transfer their memories into these new bodies and within each body is actually like a commune of Martian minds because uh, it says they never sleep. So the idea is that they actually pass control from one mind to the next within the Martian body and each Martian body is like a, a little like um, sort of a, a little uh, mob inside. Not a mob, but you know, like a little democracy inside deciding what's going what, to happen next. In a way. Yeah, like, um, but it's over time they all merge together so each new mind that is introduced is an individual and then aside from the individual is sort of like a, a group mind that they sort of have to that they're sort of working with slash against um, and also the the payoff of the book is that they they all sort of die off at the end and they're doing this but the the idea is that actually they they um, when they're drinking the blood of the humans they actually transfer the um, the uh, minds of the humans as well into into some of the alien bodies and it's actually that the minds of the humans be, who'd been transferred into the alien bodies are the things that are then fighting back against the aliens in this whole you know in london which is unseen by most people because you know in the in the original book there's nobody left in london by the end except you know just a few characters and the final right. final part is that you know in the in the book no i'm just saying in the book one of the the, the plan of the art- the plan of the artillery i'm just giving away the whole book it doesn't matter yep. i'm never going to finish it anyway apparently uh, the, the artillery managed to is to is to go underneath London and live in the sewers underneath London. Yeah. What happens at the end of the book is that the last Martian goes down and he actually lives underneath London. So he actually goes to live, you know, in the in the in the musical version, he goes down to live in the brave new world under London, which is he pretty much just becomes a monster in the sewer um who as time goes on, you know, emerges, kills tramps and uh, and sucks <laughs> right, their blood right. and he he becomes the a monster man. in the in the sewer. Yeah. Um, so that's the idea at the end of the book that, you know, it's pretty much the the um, uh, the uh, the guy. It's, it's all told from the point of view. And the, the main character in the well, there's actually two main characters in, in the Wells original is that there's the brother of the narrator and the narrator himself. But we actually get to see them as well. At one point for 18 days or whatever it is, he sits in, in the basement and looking out and going, wow, there's all these, these aliens around here. And he studies the Martians. Whereas I, I actually want to set that up is that our Martian hero has actually got him trapped in a building. And he knows he's in there, but he's actually studying him all the way through that as well. So he can, I'm, you know, he I'm can, a big fan of any, any books that, that, that do that, that they, they flip over the, the narrative. So I know that the yeah. Ender, Ender book, the first Ender book, what's it called? Uh, Ender's Game. There's another one called Ender's yeah. Shadow, which is the exact same Did book. Did you like from, Ender's Shadow? 
I it was not nearly as good as Ender's Game, but I that's the only other one and I read in the series and it, it was interesting, but it, I, I I like the idea of playing playing that game. Oh, the idea was much better than the execution of that book. Anyway, yeah, it was so. it was fine. No, it was fine. But the whole idea that well, I have well, here is, is I, very it's very much What's up, Greg? I, I have I have one question for you. You can answer an important thing for me. Why What's can't this? the Martians build a door? Build a door. I mean, if yeah, because the ship unscrews itself. Two shining feet of screws shone before the lid fell off, and the Martian comes out. Why can't these yeah. guys build a door? That was a oh, that, that, that was an error. 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 It was a mistake on their part. Uh, no, just, it wasn't. It was the door uh, was working. They had to unscrew I can't remember this. There's some things that you're talking about here, like, oh, the door. I mean, the whole thing that they don't have any wheels and there's no cogs or anything and everything works with series of levers and yeah. interlocking stuff like that. Um, I yeah. pretty much dis... I, what I do is at the beginning of the book, I tell the story of this alien race from the Big Bang onwards in their point of view. It says, in the beginning, this happened and then we did this and then we did this and then we did this. And the whole idea of their sort of technological basis is told, is, is like, is written away just in the introduction in a way. So I don't... I don't want to worry too much about the actual um, basis of the technology in that way that they they do this and they do that. Um, but it, it is explained. Okay. But that specific question, I can't remember why I... Um, for me, that's not a big issue. The, you know, the, uh, a bigger issue would be, um, like, if there's a cannon shot from Mars once every midnight on Earth, the cannon on Mars couldn't be on Mars because the... the the, the day is a different length right. on Mars. So the same point on Mars couldn't be facing mm. um, Earth when it was midnight in... in it's just a portable cannon. Um, it's a portable the, cannon. Yeah, it's, it, it, well, it's, it, it's not. It be. looks... The thing it is, I put it... Yeah, but the way I did it, I just said, well, it looks like it's on the it's on the surface of Mars, but actually all it is is in is in orbit, the, uh, yeah. um, is, is is in orbit, and every time it comes round and points Earth, they fire the they fire the gun. Um, I was thinking in different orbits that it could work out. I like the idea of it being in the L one between the Mars and Sun system as well, because the, 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 yeah. it's actually at the closest approach of Mars and Earth in that sort of two week period when they're shooting, and I'm thinking that. Uh, all that time, maybe I'm not quite sure if it works out, but you know, Earth and Mars are sort of tracking each other around. So every time that you look at midnight up from Earth towards Mars, the L1 is. This is why I want to read this book. See, most most of the science fiction books on this list of of stuff, none of them would go into the worrying about the L1s. They would just say, "Ah, we'll fix that later," and then they don't. They just start talking about characters. Well, the yeah. thing is, I you haven't mentioned any characters except for it, the it, one it, alien. <laughs> I like that part. Yeah, oh no, there is characters there. There is char- there's loads of characters, but the thing is, it's this kind of stuff which I I it's it's sort of like an intellectual exercise. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like me doing. Yeah. Um, it's it's detective work. I don't even basically. know the word. It's sort of like it's not detective words, but it's my exegesis of the text of um, of War of the Worlds or something like that. You know, in in in, in de- decoding it from what could be a, a valid point of view even if it even if it's just my point of view there but you know there are characters and things but w- as i was writing it, it it became i got became a little bit too bogged down in sort of like okay so in this battle here um where exactly were the <laughs> and it just became a little bit too bogged down in it so i've had to take a big step back and go actually right the overall story is this and i'm probably gonna when i write it again i'm gonna write it again from scratch but you know i'll do that in a few years time maybe 
All right. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, let's get this close to the end. Uh, last thing, I spotted this book, and I thought it was a really funny idea. I'm not sure if it should be a Wait book. Wait a second. Are we still, are we we're still, still doing podcasting? We're still podcasting. This is just about Jesse, the we, end. I'm pressing I'm enter, gonna... and you're going to see this oh, Okay, book, I did. And then this is going to be the last book, okay? Called... Oh, yeah, The Girl okay, with the Dragon I didn't realize we're still No, it's podcasting. not The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Look at it again. Drag, uh, dragon, dragon Girl Tattoo. tattoo. The okay. Dragon, dragon Girl Tattoo. I think that's... Uh, you know, <laughs> you can type it into Google without, you know, the girl with the dragon tattoo. You're going to get this occasionally. You'll get this hit, right? It, uh, although Google's probably, it'll fake oh, the figure it out. The dragon with the girl. Okay. Right. So this is somebody who said, hmm, that book's really successful. I wonder what I could do with that. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's got no reviews on Amazon. It's no brand new. It just well. came out. It's, uh, it's Salamander. Yeah. Lizbeth Salamander instead of yeah, <laughs> main character. I, I do like this. What do, what do customers ultimately buy after viewing this item? 40% of the one? Dragon with a girl tattoo. 24% buy the girl with a dragon tattoo. It's like, oh yeah, that's a book they actually want to buy, not this. Well, yeah. Right, right. But, and, and this looks just like a parody. I, I, I've got I mean, a feeling. It, I don't... It, it looks like a parody, yeah. but it, it, says, it says it's a real book. Oh, I believe From that, Blanche. but I don't think that what... what Luke is doing is the same thing. It's not a parody of War of no. the Worlds. No, no, no. It's a it. It's from a different it's a, viewpoint. Yeah, it's, it's a, so. yeah. Well, this is this is this is. I'm not sure if this is a. Yeah, it could be. It probably is a parody, but uh, it's it's just like um, interesting. I'm not. I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure. I want to read this book, but I. No, but Adam Roberts. Adam Roberts is a is a, a genuine author and a genuine scholar. I think. Let me see if yeah, I got, it, three of his I got novels the right Adam Roberts. for the Arthur C. Clarke, so this is he's a yeah, it is the Adam Roberts. Yeah, he's he's quite a prolific blogger. I mean, he's he's very he's well known in the in the science fiction world. No audiobook yet. Of <laughs> not. All right, thank you very much, gentlemen. Anytime. I can't believe we're still podcasting. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.